0: Hello and welcome to this truly special edition of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. It is the long-awaited Nolan Retrospective, or director series, Christopher Nolan. Um, boy, guys, I've been excited for this one for a while. Thank you for letting me host. Um...
1: It's all you got. It's
0: been a long time. Yeah, this is all I... It's been a long time since we've done a retrospective. I think it's been a y- at least a year since we've done a retrospective. The last one we did was PTA, and uh, that one was really good. But um, I went back and listened to the Fincher retrospective. We had a lot of disagreements, and that one was quite interesting. So I want to encourage you guys to embrace the anger inside you. Um, and... You know feel free to to, let's 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 have a good debate here I think that'll be fun Um, that's what makes these really interesting and and I have a feeling that they will be um so I will say I think I am the one out of the three of us who likes Nolan the most Um, despite the fact that uh, Inception kicked off your this podcast for you guys it was the first movie you guys reviewed Um, Nolan is near and dear to my heart Um, and I have to say of the four filmmakers we've now done Nolan is actually the youngest, I believe he and p t are the are the same age, um, which is pretty interesting um and I just wanted to a- ask you guys um okay so Lee, very quickly, why are you excited for the Nolan retrospective very quickly
1: uh I think it's we're we're about to go through ten movies and they aren't like the other directors. I think you can run a parallel with especially Uh, Tarantino and PTA and then maybe even Fincher but like we're dealing with a a blockbuster filmmaker here, a commercial director that also you could argue is an auteur and I think the types of movies that we're going to talk about are different and I think it's going to bring up a little bit of a different Type of discussion in terms of what you know, what we like about these movies and what we normally talk about. So, I okay. mean, on the surface, that's well. That's what I'm
0: thinking. You and I did the Interstellar podcast when we were trying to get this podcast started back in 2014. Started again. Great audio
1: quality on that one.
0: Terrible yeah. audio quality. Let's just <laughs> pretend that that one didn't exist, okay? But I did ask you a question that I hope we can ask in a different that we can hope we can answer in a different mm-hmm. way on this podcast, which is what is the appeal of, of Christopher Nolan? And, and, and I think I asked, I think I phrased it like explain to someone like my mom who doesn't really know that much about movies, what Christopher Nolan means to us and my mom listened. So now we can all answer that question, but um, I'll start and you guys can get to this. Um, you know, you don't have to answer it now. You can find a time throughout this podcast that you can answer. But I, I would just say that like, um, I think it can kind of be summed up on what he brought to batman begins for me for example um he's a very grounded filmmaker but he also works on this massive canvas this massive scale and he's a blockbuster filmmaker he's like the new spielberg and i think what's unique about him compared to the other directors we've done is his name alone is like a marketing tactic he's he's the only director i really can think of and I even include Spielberg right now. I think he's the most powerful director working in Hollywood today because his name is a selling point.
2: Well, People I, go I, see his I movies. I made this for argument that, that the only other person isn't actually Spielberg, it's James Cameron.
0: Mm. That's an excellent point. That's great. Um, I would That think can s- get
2: an original, like, $100 million or more
1: movie made. And, it's and, Christopher and Nolan then, and James and Cameron. And then say it's going to make a bunch of money, and it just and does And it does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's great. Um, so uh, and you know there's lots of stuff about Nolan he he continues to shoot on film which for every other director who does that annoys me but for some reason Nolan doesn't. Um, in sort of the mid-aughts we we Holly was trying to figure out how to make movies a bigger, you know, of bigger scale, like make the theatrical experience appealing to people. And and you know that's this is how we got the resurgence of 3D for example. But Nolan went the other way. He doubled down on film. He went bigger formats, IMAX. You know, shooting on film and transferring to film. Um, you know, not you know sort of belaying digital intermediates. And so he's got this sort of old school vibe combined with this sort of modern sensibility. And I don't know. That's just what I love about him. I will say. I don't know that Nolan is my favorite filmmaker, um, but of the four that we've done on the director's retrospective, there is nobody whose movies I look forward to more than Nolan's. I am so pumped mm-hmm. for Tenet. I don't know if it's coming out in at the end of, the, of July or not, um, but I am so excited to see it whenever it does. Um,
1: Can I add one thing, too? Please. Or actually two things. Um, one, one thing that – and this is, seems to be my answer for everything now, but – you know, you ask us to describe Christopher Nolan to your mom. He he is the perfect okay. example for my argument about what I love about film. That you can watch his movies and enjoy them. They're they're popcorn movies, but if you pay closer attention, there's so much to uncover because he's an auteur. So like I've always said, movies are interesting because you can enjoy them on the, the simplest level, but you can also dig deeper and learn more about them. And I think Nolan is a great example of that. And the other thing that gets me really excited about this retrospective in particular is that I think Nolan is really unique. His career is really unique. And we'll talk a lot about this. I'm sure about, because there, I don't think there's anybody who, who's, whose movies make it clearer that they're stepping stones to the mm-hmm. next movie. Like, Mm. and not just in scale and budget, like the themes The you see him learn from his mistakes, you see him uh, evolve on on characters and storylines. And I think it's really interesting. And Jeremy, I know you did this, too. I watched all of his movies in order. And I'm not entirely sure if that made the difference. But you can totally see how his career has gone from a to where it is now. And it's it's fascinating. And I'm excited to talk more about it. Yeah, there's a few points I want to bring up when it comes to sort of introducing Nolan and
2: one of the things that I really enjoyed about doing this retrospective is he only has 10 movies. He doesn't really have any bad movies. So it's not you're not sitting through clunkers really. That's a great point. And it was interesting. I've never I've never watched a filmmaker's work in order before Hmm. and i think that was interesting to do to take it from um the following uh all the way to the end um but what i wrestled with especially after memento what i wrestled with is sort of the what the question you asked chapin um not specifically to describe nolan to somebody but like what is Nolan's style? Like, mm-hmm. what is that? Yeah. What, like, what are the words I would use to describe Nolan's style? Because there's, it's, it's hard to put in words. And I think what I came up with is the word precision. Mm. Is that a style? I don't know, but that's how I feel, especially with his bigger, bigger, blockbuster movies which is most every one of them at this point like what what is he bringing to the table that nobody else is and it's in just in terms of his capabilities as a filmmaker and that says nothing to the to his writing capabilities but I think it's a precision with the craft that is like no other and I and I don't know if you guys can expand upon that or even, tell me what exactly i mean by that
1: but i think well he, it's really interesting because sorry japan like you i mean there's a million as i was doing my research there's a million articles written about christopher nolan and they all start the same way like how would you describe christopher nolan and it's always non-linear storytelling practical effects still shoots on film large format none of those are a all, the, bull, all style. the bullshit i just said <laughs> But, yeah, but none of that's a style. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's stuff you can like about him and stuff you can be interested in, but that doesn't define his style as an auteur. You know, that's, like, part of the way he writes his scripts. That's part of – the. that's literally the, the medium he decides to shoot yeah, on. Yeah, there, there are but, certain themes
2: that he has that you definitely can point to, and we'll get to those. But, it, yeah, it's not his style. I yeah, think,
1: it's,
0: it, it's I, I think precision is a way to to, deci- to describe the way he works – from what i understand from but what you just on, described but it goes you see it you no, no, see it and i think that means like deliberate yeah you know mm-hmm. like what you see on screen is what he wants you to see there's not a lot of experimentation there's not a lot off script um,
1: yeah he I, I, he never uses second unit which was in that interview you sent us chapin and right. his point there was like if i'm not going to see what's being shot then it doesn't need to be in my movie he, which is know, an interesting point
0: he generally Shoots one camera, which for a movie, you know, for us, the move, uh, the kind of movies he's made, at least since Batman begins, is kind of crazy. Like, you know, you'll, you'll guys recall that, that, that image I showed you of Tony Scott sitting next to like six camera, six giant (laughs) Panavision cameras. Um, But I think that's really interesting because the, and the way he's worked with his DPs, they're all very deliberate. And working on film, there's a certain amount of precision that you have to have because, you know, like, you don't have, You've got 10 minutes of film in the camera, or maybe less. And I think that's really interesting. I think that speaks to the type of films he makes. I will say, and I'd, I'd love for you guys to address that at some point, probably not now, but like, I did find that like out of the f- other three filmmakers we've done on this retrospective series, he might have the least to say, you know, sort of, he's the most kind yeah, of... Yeah, he's not, he doesn't make,
1: he doesn't make ideas movies. Like, no, like... Which- I, I, I don't
2: know. I think there is. A we can explore. I think his he has themes. themes.
1: Yeah, but I think that's different. Like he's not. He, I mean, there is this sounds superficial, but there's a huge element of his movies that are made to make money. I mean, it, it yeah, doesn't but mean but that they're I don't not know that they're more made to make money, interest. but they're pulpy. They're like made
0: to be enjoyed. They're made. They're right. not made to challenge. They're made to enjoy, to be enjoyed. I
2: disagree. I do think he makes his movies to challenge. I, I, I okay. think he does it's too. well, I think that's screenplay so like, or.
1: Let's get more into
2: that with each individual. Okay, film, okay. so
1: he, so Chiby, why
2: don't you let a let the audience know how we're going to do this, how we're going to go through this? Okay, films. so
0: we're going to just start from our number tens. Um, we're going to count down ten to one, um, and we're going to try to just talk about every movie just once. So if let's say my number 10, let's say Lee's number 10 is actually my number one. I'm going to try to get my little licks in about that movie in one discussion. Is that what you're, you're hoping I'm,
1: yeah, but we, I don't think we want to reveal that. No, we're not going to reveal our numbers, but we'll
0: talk about it. We'll talk about every movie. Just try to talk about every movie once because the last one of these went two hours and 20 minutes or something. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, that would be great. And I'll start. Right. Are you guys ready to go? Let's do it. I'm oh, ready. and then of course we're going to count down actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, cinematography, and score. We're going to bl- we're, we're not going to do screenplay, right? We can. Oh, I, I mean, it depends how like much to. we
1: discuss it. At least I, I think yeah. maybe. Okay. It, those are quick. We always we only have one nomination for each. We just okay. pick our winners.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I'll start. My number ten is following.
1: Hmm.
0: His first film. His okay. lowest budget film. And if it's not yours, we're really starting this off on the wrong foot. Uh,
2: Jeremy, what's it is yours? Not, it is not mine. My number 10 is Insomnia.
1: Oh. Okay. My number 10 is the prestigious. Oh. Uh, see what I did there? <laughs> 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 The Dark Knight Rises. Wow. Fuck. God damn Whoa. it. We've never had this where we all have three different number 10s. Um, that's
2: crazy all right let's let's skip the uh let's not get into the batman series let's quite talk yet. about let's, f- let's, talk let's talk about, about the following yeah because it is his first film it's a good place to start so jabin I, you, well this let is me actually... give you a
1: quick couple quick things here so this is from 1998 six thousand dollar budget okay but like um,
0: that's not real like where do you get all that film that's the first scene is six thousand dollars
1: okay well that's what it says everywhere but um 60 on metacritic uh, this is a nice swift 70 minutes, which is great. And his just, shortest. Um, really, Nolan pretty much did everything on this movie. Um, He shot it. He wrote it. and Black and white. He, Black and white. Shot it on weekends with his friends over the course of a year or so. Yeah, we know um, so that trul- truly truly a, a, a first feature film. And a lot of people actually don't include this as one of his features. They're, everybody's talking about Tenet being his 10th feature. Um, oh, well, which really it is definitely...
2: It, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, it's a, definitely a feature. A feature yeah, um, which well, is what's interesting is Chapin, you actually hadn't seen this
1: movie. No, yet, I hadn't. And you're I the hadn't. biggest Nolan fan. I hadn't of um, the three of us. So it, this was it, the first time you saw it. I did. It's like he didn't didn't crash any 747s in this one. So no, 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 no. Um, you're like boring.
0: I, I liked it. Like to Jeremy's point, I think he's made ten good movies, which is I I don't think you could say that about anybody else we've done. His uh his batting average is pretty good here. Um, but you know ultimately I thought you know I, I think nolan is somebody who like I said in my intro the scale of his productions the scale of his filmmaking is important and and he's made a concerted effort to grow his scale and this this movie of course has to be the smallest movie and I think you know there's a lot of production value issues there's uh, there's come you know there's not there's not a, the acting isn't fantastic. Um, I do think the ideas are really interesting in it. Um, we begin with a, and and you can see, of course, what's I think really interesting about watching Following is the different temporalities uh, that Nolan explores in virtually every one of his movies. I don't think there's one in here that doesn't. Which means, you know, uh, the movie is told non linearly. There's there's these different times, different uh, time periods moving um, at. Uh, Throughout the movie, um, but yeah, just ultimately, I just didn't think I just I think he put so much effort and thought into the craftsmanship of his movies, both in sort of the photography, but also even the acting and things like that. That you know, the kind of low budget nature of it had a pretty significant impact on my enjoyment of the movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a clever concept. And it's a really clever concept for a low-budget movie. I mean, basically, you have this guy who follows people because he considers himself a writer and wants to sort of see what people do. And he he has his own rules about following people that he doesn't break. And once he does break them, um, things start to go awry for him. And he did... And like you said, it's nonlinear. So he discovers sort of... Um, just how bad things get as we as an audience discover it. Um, there there are well I guess I could propose this more as a question like what what did you see from the following them- thematically that he's taken into his other movies?
1: So I th- is, I, I will I'll admit right up off the bat that that this movie, lost some luster this time around compared to especially the first time I saw it, which I think is interesting that Chapin put it as his number number 10. Um, I know you admit that it's still a good movie, but the first time I saw this, I was I was sort of amazed by the story and intrigued by everything that he was doing here. And But in terms of themes, themes and the writing, I think, are the big things you see here as far as stepping stones for Nolan, and this being his first movie i think it's appropriate to talk about that but he he loves the idea of exploring like not just who people are but you know what people do and why and you see that in insomnia you see that in interstellar i think especially you, you see it a little see, bit in the batman movies
2: you also see the the genesis of objects as yeah definitions that's, that's of people point. yeah you you see cuz you know, they go into houses that they, they have cold conversations about uh, the guy's name's Cobb, um, the burglar, uh, how he takes finds these boxes, these personalized boxes and throws them around so that people feel uh, a sense of loss and a sense of what they've taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you can kind of
1: see throughout his movies, too. I love what I love most about this movie and still love most about it is how immediately y- you 're brought in you 're intrigued like this idea that this guy just follows people like I remember the first time I saw it, and still now i 've probably seen it maybe four or five times and In my life, I still, after watching the first 10 minutes of this movie, want to go out and kind of try this and follow and just kind of the psychology of that is so interesting. And I think it's a really brilliant way. It's great writing. It's a smart way to get your audience intrigued. And especially when you're dealing with what's clearly a low budget movie. Again, Chapin, like you said, the production value isn't great, but that's all fine because you're immediately brought into this story, into this world, and you're interested in this character and what's going to happen to him and that's that's the beauty of this movie you disagree
0: i i just um yeah i I think i would enjoy again this is where i have problems with nolan is that i think he he kind of he's got these really fascinating ideas that sort of create the architecture of his movies but then he kind of butts up against them and 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 he's not willing to explore more i don't think the movie's really about following it's more about like breaking and entering (laughs) i mean that's becomes the the real hobby and you know like i think you learn i like the cobb character the the character who you know sort of teaches him like what what you learn about people when you break into their homes but
2: um the concept just felt like sort of not fully realized here and i think i i don't think it was the concept's problem I think that we just didn't care enough about these characters I, I don't think the true. characters were fully realized I like I honestly can't even remember what the actual interweb of the the model Cobb the writer yeah, like that's that whole a little thing, forgettable. I, like but who, and and who also it
0: cares? comes together way too like the sort of double cross, triple cross.
1: Yeah, what happens in the I, end,
0: and which which is funny because like we learn a lot about what Nolan does right here that will influence his movies. But I think you also see a little hint of what goes wrong. Some in some
1: overriding, yeah,
0: yeah, and also you know there's a little bit too convenient plot points that that kind of come together and have this guy be betrayed and 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 fall for this con that you know seems a little far fetched.
1: Well, and I don't get too wrapped up in that because I, I, I just like the elements of this movie, but I, I did ask myself at the end of this movie, like, but why? Like, there is an explanation why Cobb double-crosses the Jeremy Theobald character, but it's sort of just still like, but why? Like, yeah. leave the guy alone. Like, and, and that's a little bit of a, a, a difficult thing to grapple with if you're really focused on kind of where this plot goes. But for me, like, I... I really do look at this as as a first feature and when I'm doing it knowing it's a first feature I'm looking at things and I'm being like if you didn't know it, it, take the production value out of it you know take the fact that we know it's his first movie there's a lot about this that you would not know that it's it's really well done it's it's a, you can tell it's a, a talented storyteller a talented filmmaker finding his footing mm mm-hmm. mhm and I think that that's really great to watch. And like I said, I'm so brought into this movie from the get-go, and it's only 70 minutes, so it doesn't have a lot of time to then lose me, that it works for me every time I see it. And I, little by little each time, it's, it's a little less interesting, and I think that that's understandable, but it's still a movie I really enjoy.
0: Lee, what was your number 10?
1: The Dark Knight Rises.
0: And Jeremy?
2: Insomnia. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Alright, so let's uh move on to our number nine. Okay,
0: my number nine is the dreaded The Dark Knight Rises, the Lost Podcast.
1: I know, which is so frustrating.
2: Uh my uh number nine is the film we just talked about, the following. Following. There's no the And my number following. nine. My number nine is Insomnia. Oh my god. So let's talk about insom. Let's talk about insomnia before we get to the Batman movies. Okay. okay, and insomnia is my number eight, so that works out well. Okay. So this is to me, this is the least Nolan mo- Nolan mm-hmm. movie. The only like one he
0: officially read. does not have a writing credit on.
2: It seems like a movie that somebody said, "Hey, do you want to try this?" And he's like, "Sure." There's a few hints in things that you sort of go, Maybe. "Oh yeah, that's a." that's a Nolan shot, like, when they're... Go, you know, I, I feel like he's used it in, like, two or three movies, from the plane going over, like, the the glaciers. Yep. Um, Like, oh, you go, oh, that's a Nolan movie. But other than that, the story isn't very Nolan. The characters don't feel that Nolan. I don't really sympathize with Al Pacino's characters that much. I think it's... It becomes sort of hard to believe this whole... This whole idea of him just not being able to sleep because of the lack of light and and just i don't know i I just didn't
1: i i didn't i didn't buy it i didn't buy a lot of this i mean my biggest issue with this is this movie's forgettable like' it's, it's so forgettable, and I think that's a consensus critique of this movie but my my issue in terms of the insomnia aspect of this movie is that it's not interesting enough to separate it from every other police procedural and as a result this movie feels just like that it just feels procedural and it's Mm. and and not not that Nolan hasn't followed formulas before I mean he's defied them in many ways but this movie just kind of feels like a uh, a murder mystery like solve the murder mystery there's not really anything too unique about the story and obviously as a result of that it doesn't feel very much like a Nolan movie but you're right like I think this it just doesn't feel it feels like anybody really could have directed this in, uh, you know if if the signature of Nolan that you found was a plane flying over the mountains then there's no sure. signature I, I, of Nolan
0: come on guys there's all that quick There's a there's a lot of memento in this
1: movie there is music's a little similar
0: no all the quick cuts the the inserts yeah i I think you guys are not i i mean mean, this movie is a little higher on my list but i i think nolan brings something to what you're describing as a fairly formulaic cop movie he definitely elevates this movie and okay
1: that i agree with but and i I elevates it to what he it, it's so watching this to, while it's formulaic and i think the story is ultimately not all that interesting you're wa- you can you're watching a confident director which i think is is good i mean and i think that does elevate the movie i mean it just it does i mean if you had a shitty director directing this then pieces would be out of place like it just wouldn't the tone wouldn't work or the or the pacing wouldn't work and and in that way you see a confident director it just doesn't to me it just doesn't feel like anything else that I've seen Nolan do.
0: No, I agree. I mean, I it's, but so just to give you guys a little insight into my struggles here, which I, which we like to do here. I, I have to say that I enjoyed watching, revisiting this movie more than Memento. Um, and I, I was wrestling with like, okay, you know, where do these two, how do these two movies interact? Ultimately Memento is higher on my list, but I, I, I think insomnia is a, just a very well crafted movie. I think it's like, it's not the fugitive, but it's a movie like that where there are very few flaws. It's just very well done. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I agree. He doesn't really reach for the stars here, right. but, but
2: why, like, why but it's do you it's we forgettable. Well, like the you say the fugitive, like we get, you get why people are behind that character. Like, there, there's a rooting interest. Yeah, I
0: think, I think Whereas this one doesn't very, have very, he's, he's a flawed protagonist. He's somebody whose moral ambiguity makes this movie more interesting than your typical sort of cop drama. I love the Alaska element of it. I think that's so cool. I like that
1: too, yeah.
0: Um, I'll tell small you this, town. though.
1: I, I, don't, I don't really think that the moral ambiguity aspect of this movie works particularly well. I, I sort of... I th- I felt that the the, the storyline with his partner and the and internal affairs was underdeveloped. What I do think was interesting was how his lack of sleep, even though I don't know that that was enough to put this movie, you know, over the top. I think his how his lack of sleep kind of debilitated him to put him on the level with Robin Williams, who there are, you have scenes with Robin Williams where you kind of see that this guy is probably not really that smart. Like, you know, he's, he, he sort of is like living in his novels and like he says some things where he thinks he's got everything figured out or he thinks he can help solve this case that he's the, (laughs) the, the perp in. And you realize he's not that smart, but, but, and, and, Pacino's lack of sleep puts those two on the same level. There's a scene earlier in the movie where you see Pacino just eviscerate the punk boyfriend. Like, the guy, the the kid thinks he's a hotshot. He thinks he can talk to the police however he wants. And you know watching that scene that Pacino just is like, like, this is small time for him. Like, he has no issue dealing with him. He's coming from L.A. He's dealt with way worse. And you you just know that that is going to be no issue. But little by little, as the movie goes on, and you see him suffering more and more from this lack of sleep he loses his wits, he loses his ability to process things, and all of a sudden now he's on the same level with this this uh, this killer who, under normal circumstances he'd probably be able to eviscerate the same way as a cop um, but I thought I thought that was much more interesting than trying to deal with, you know, his did he shoot his cop his, uh, his partner, is he dealing with uh, how is he dealing with internal affairs? I felt like that stuff didn't work. I didn't okay. like that aspect of the movie. I always I felt agree. it was underdeveloped. I
2: agree. And I also didn't care for the chase. I just didn't... I didn't... Uh, see, like, the payoff at the end was just so anticlimactic to me.
1: Well, I can tell you why. I think because I there was why. no other suspects. No, or... because I think Hillary Swank is bad in this movie. And I, th- I I don't think she's convincing as this, like guide through the movie to like balance these storylines of, of that moral ambiguity, that internal affairs aspect that, that uh, Chapin's talking about and this pedestal that she's put him up on. I don't think she pulls that off. She, she tries to play this like when I wrote it down, um, sort of like ambitious, but not particularly adept at policing and it sort of comes off as not particularly adept at acting. I mean, we're talking about Hilary Swank here. Obviously, she's a great actress. Between I just don't think Oscars. She was, um, yeah, this is between two Oscar wins for her, um, both of which, of which are deserving. And I just think she just doesn't capture what's needed here to kind of pull all of these pieces together, which is her role. I'll agree with and that. And I think as a result, you lose the the climactic elements of the finale of this movie.
2: I agree with I, that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I I agree, and I also think that Rob Robin Williams'
2: character as the villain just hmm. eh, who cares? Oh, I like I like lo- him. I
1: like I well, I go I'm back and forth on him. There's there's one scene with him that I don't think he's great the whole movie, but there's one scene with him that like in his eyes, like you see this like look, and you can't tell if he's crazy or sad, and I'm not sure there's another actor that could have that look like robin williams does in this movie and for that i gave him a lot of credit i thought it worked and this is right around the time he started playing a lot of
2: uh psychos well he had one hour hour photos right around yeah around that same time so um
1: it's interesting
0: okay uh as i said my number eight was insomnia so we just talked about that
1: and my number eight was following which we've discussed and my number
2: eight is The Dark Knight.
0: Whoa! Whoa, that's a big reveal. Holy oh, shit. Oh, man. Is. So, uh, but two. Jeremy's the only living human on Earth who thinks The Dark Knight Rises is better than The Dark Knight.
2: Uh, well, we can get into that. Let's talk about The Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Because you both had it. What, what numbers did you have it at? Number this is 10. My nine.
1: And can right, I say so? It's mine.
2: It's my number seven.
1: Okay, but can can I say something really quick, and then of course we'll get into all the specifics? You guys have yeah. both said that Nolan has not made a bad movie. You're yeah. wrong. The you Dark, think Knight, the Dark Rises Knight Rises is a, is a bad movie. movie. I disagree with that. It is a big fucking disaster. So wait,
0: we're talking about The Dark Knight Rises? Oh yes. right, because it's that's that's your number seven, Jeremy. Yep. No, it's hard to keep track of all these. Okay.
2: Yeah. So it's a, it's only one. Ahead of the Dark Knight. Um, okay, well, let okay, me just I, say I, this okay. one thing I want to say about all these Batman movies <laughs> is the second half of these movies all are ahead. kind of are kind of a mess, and they're hard to follow. And you just, I, at least personally, I do not care about the plots. The second half of the movie, The Dark Knight Rises, is part of that. Like, I just think that whole you know, last 45 minutes to an hour is a bit of a mess and not as big of a mess to me as The Dark Knight is. At least I can somewhat pretend to follow it, but it just... I, I think the the good parts of all these movies are the first half where you're sort of developing uh, the, the bad guys, you're developing Batman, you're developing the character relationships, but once they start enacting whatever their crazy plan is, I just, I honestly roll my eyes at it.
1: Okay. Know. So that's a very good point, And I agree a hundred percent. I actually was surprised because I was, me and Lydia both were watching the dark Knight rises and this was always the Batman movie I had at the bottom of the, of the trilogy. And we the got bottom of the about, top 10. <laughs> that's true. But my last one, um, we got an hour in before we had to stop, and of course, watch the rest of the next night. And I was surprised how much I was enjoying it an hour in. And uh, the best description I heard about this movie was that it's a pretty good movie until it isn't. And like you said, Jeremy, that happens when Bane's master plan starts to take hold, and the movie just starts to fall apart. But and the you problem realize is, he has
2: no plan. <laughs>
1: that's an hour in. That's that happens right after that point. Right after he kills. Ben Mendelsohn's character. So it's an hour and 45 minutes of garbage. All right? This movie falls apart. It is, I I tried, I literally tried to do this because I thought it would be fun to do. I tried to write a plot synopsis for this movie and I would read it to you if it weren't so long. It's, it's a, I can't even do it. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It's like 500 moving pieces, none of which come together in any interesting way. The thing is, like, it's still more coherent than the Dark Knight plot. Right, we'll, well, we're gonna we'll get, get to that. We'll get to that. Here, this is, but it's not uh, though. But we'll get to that.
2: <laughs> one thing I have noticed
0: in almost every one of Nolan's movies is that there is some plot that hinges on this very strange emotional development, and to your point, Jeremy, about the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, it's this Harvey Dent thing. Harvey Dent is established in The Dark Knight and he's a district attorney. No oh, big deal. He's a white, <laughs> you know, they call him the White Knight, but there's no real <clears throat> indication that the public knows him. And he's killed or dies or whatever the lie is. And then the entire Dark Knight Rises hinges on that fact. And I can, as we go through these movies, I can give you the weird plot hinge that every one of these that happens in every one of these structures. But, it, like, I just don't buy it. I, I never, like, I didn't really, we'll get to this, but I, I didn't really like the, the Harvey Dent character, but, like, the entire plot of The Dark Knight Rises hinges on this character who wasn't that memorable from the last movie.
2: Okay, okay. so let's let's talk about what was, okay, all that is correct, but we're acting like, and at Lee, you don't like the movie, but I, I don't want it, it to come off like I think any of these, Batman movies are bad because I think he's done an incredible job with and sort of what he did to start the superhero genre as we know it today. um, We should give him a lot of credit for. Okay. But let's go back to The Dark Knight Rises. Like, up. To a certain point, like Bane is an amazing character, oh, and absolutely. I think. Oh
1: come on! All right, go ahead. Okay,
2: you don't th- you you don't think Tom Hardy's great in it? You don't think Bane is interesting? He is as a character until they
1: ruin him. Until they have him spew monologues that are pointless and you can't understand. And to to your we point, we can't just understand
2: so it, him from the beginning. To just be so, fair,
1: yeah, but when he says one line one line at a time, it works. But when he starts just like spouting nonsense for eight minutes at a time. In this Occupy Wall Street subplot that makes no fucking sense, then you start to lose all interest in him, and he becomes uninteresting. But just so I don't forget, a point that you made about what Nolan has done with these Batman movies, is is becomes really frustrating in this one because in that final fight scene. In The Dark Knight Rises, when Batman comes up and the snow's falling and they're on the front steps of Wall Street and he just has a fucking fist fight with Bane, that flies in the face of everything that he invented with Batman Begins. It's no longer about this like hidden figure, this vigilante that can, that can go faceless and nameless and, and protect the weak of Gotham City. Now he's just Bruce Wayne fighting the bad guys dressed up like it just doesn't work and that happens little by little and more and more exponentially through the movies that you lose that which was so great about batman begins and what he did how he grounded that and how he had reasons why he was dressed why he called himself batman and he was dressed as a bat like that's all gone by by the dark knight rises
2: (laughs) well there's a there's a couple points i have to that so it's it is silly and it's also silly that he just like broke his back and climbed out of uh, wherever that ridiculous. is. And then, and then shows <laughs> and then, up and, and then shows walked, up and got home <laughs> and, and then fights Bane, who's already destroyed him. And somehow he's whatever, but putting that, putting that aside, the reason that I think I have the dark Knight rises a, slightly ahead of the dark Knight is because I, I feel some satisfaction at the ending and at Alfred's story. I get that, and I like that ending. Even though I could see... It either had to go that way, or it had to go really dark, and I think Batman could have died. Like, I think maybe he should have died. But I do like his relationship with Alfred in The Dark Knight Rises, and it's one of those things that I've had struggles with the previous two movies... Uh, as far as relationships and how much you actually care about these characters because they're hard to care about. And I also think Anne Hathaway is really good as Catwoman I agree. in The Dark Knight Rises. I, agree. I she, think she, her performance is really good. And I think that whole concept uh, uh, that she uh, sort of shows to, shows to the world of the rich and the poor and taking what she can and all that i think that actually really works so i think for all those reasons that's ahead of the dark knight for me
1: okay well let me tell you this about hathaway is like i would agree with you if it weren't just one of a million plot points that just don't come together in any realistic way like
0: i think that's fair but you got to divorce that from her performance
1: no her performance is fine but jeremy says that her her storyline also works but like like they fucking kiss at the end who why why and like, I like that. Her whole her whole point, like, I all right, fine. If you want to like look at it and say like, okay, she came around, like she got what she needed, she could have just left and she came around. Okay, good. Let's all like let's give her a pat on the back. But that's fine. But I just felt like that maybe that's one of the better pieces. But it is one of so many I, plot I points that are ham fisted into this movie that do not work. That it that it mutes. It diffuses anything good about this movie.
2: But that's not that's not. Uh, specific or or isolated to the Dark Knight Rises. That's all three of the uh, movies. Right. Well, we in might disagree on that
1: a little bit. But even even if I agree with that a little bit, it's exponentially worse in this movie. As this movie is exponentially bigger than all of his other movies. It's a two hundred fifty million dollar movie. It's one of his highest grossing movies. One, I think it is his highest grossing movie. It right, one point one billion dollars worldwide. Um, I think it's uh, it's not his longest movie. I think Interstellar is his longest movie. But this movie is so chock full of just nonsense. I mean, I don't know how many other ways I can say it, but like Marion Cotillard who just comes around at the end as this like twist of a villain that is going to blow that is going to blow up the city that was going to blow up anyway after Bane blew up the whole city already to keep everybody on it. That right. makes no sense. Unless after he after he that's after he killed the nuclear physicist that he pretended to kill, like the S- well, so, what is problem, happening in this goddamn movie?
2: The problem is those the villains don't have an agenda. They act like they have an agenda. See, that's the difference. Like Bane seems like he should have an agenda. Like he should have a plan.
1: Yeah, and it turns out he's just like a father figure.
2: And it well, n- none of it is like means anything. At least you could say with the Dark Knight, with the Joker, his whole thing is chaos. So if it makes no sense, you could just excuse it there.
1: Whereas Introduce the Dark Knight that. Rises
2: anarchy. So. Yeah.
0: But let, yeah, if you and, like Bane and, as
1: a villain, you have to agree that that was got, it's got to be the most yes, one of the most not, underwhelming deaths in the history not, of villains. Let's not
0: forget that this this move this series which was begun as a more grounded version of comic books ends with Batman dragging a ticking time bomb that is the shape of a cannonball out to sea. <laughs> I mean, Yeah, come it's fan yeah
1: it's so fan serving but yeah let's, this like
0: i and th- that's the thing is like i've always appreciated the scale of this movie the filmmaking of this movie but i didn't ever stop to think about like yeah the, that opening scene which is awesome where they like essentially crash a plane for real is just to get the get the physicist to then two and a half <laughs> hours later set this bob and then kill him and then hold this no. like Hold the city hostage for five months? Like what is okay, that? Like, wh- but
1: this is this is what I wrote down. I feel like so. I feel like no. This is what Nolan said when he was like. Workshopping this this movie, and he's like, "God, you know, I feel like the Dark Knight did so well. People really seem to like that movie. But you know what? I didn't. Th- I'm not sure that the end part worked on the ferries, where I gave gave Gotham the choice to to, to like blow up the other. That didn't really work. I'm going to try it again in the Dark Knight <laughs> Rises on a bigger scale. I mean, I'm going I mean, to I'm going to give the detonator to everybody. But but you yeah. know what? I'm not actually going to do that.
2: Right? Cause it's yeah. Not, cause I just think Nolan one. Nolan was just like bigger, bigger. Everything needs to be bigger. I think, wanna, yes. I, I think he didn't want to
0: I think he didn't want to make this movie. But he wanted to make Inception and so he said, Okay, I'll make this movie. All right, know, well, let's and it's move sad on. because it because Well we'll get to it, but this is such a important trilogy.
1: Okay. Um Chapin, your number eight was Insomnia, is that correct?
0: It was, yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to keep track. All here. right. So All right. I already said my number seven.
2: It was The Dark Knight Rises. And Mine my is num- The Dark Knight. Oh, it
0: is?
1: Oh, wow. Oh, so we're not, Lee, we're not that far off but, here. Well, there is because The Dark Knight Rises is my number 10. Oh, right, right.
0: Yeah, sorry. Okay, and my number seven is, here we go, guys, Memento.
2: Oh. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. All right, well, let's talk about The Dark Knight then. Yeah, let's keep it- rolling with uh, Batman. So... I, for years, I was blinded by one thing in this movie, and it was Heath Ledger's performance and how I, good that is. Can
1: I just say, I'm so happy, as, as, even though I disagree vehemently that, that this is worse than The Dark Knight Rises, I, I'm so happy that you have realized that The Dark Knight is not what you once claimed it to be.
2: Yeah, it, it takes a, a strong turn, at, and I can pinpoint the exact moment. It's after he lights the pile of money on fire. Everything after that... Everything burns. It's... It it makes zero sense. It's hard to follow. Nolan's direction, I dare say, is kind of bad after that. It's just so chaotic, and you don't know how to focus. You don't know what... And he's so good at telling you what to focus on, whereas here he's kind of all over the place. The music... Although it's a cool score, it's kind of too like um, intense in a weird way. It's 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 too like in your face, and the edits are are um, disjointed. I mean, I just think what other than Heath Ledger, this movie doesn't really have anything going for it. It's more and it's more his movie than Batman's. It's not even much about Batman. Yeah. Yeah,
1: well, I wrote I wrote the same thing, and it seems like they come around the same point. I wrote after after Rachel's death, um, and around the time Harvey becomes two faced, uh, I think this movie starts to fall apart. But this this movie is very interesting to me because I agree that it's Heath Ledger's movie. I I also think I, I'm not sure that there's ever been a movie where one singular performance elevated a movie as much as that. Performance Mm -hmm. does. I I am willing to make the argument here that that may be the best performance of all time. I mean, wow, it is. It's it's unreal, and this is a weird comparison, but like, it's it's like we talk about Ricky Gervais in the Office being one of the best TV performances of all time. There's shades of that. Like he lick, like the way he licks his lips, the way he like looks up and like up in his forehead at like these little like nicks and things that he does like it's just Mm. no one's ever done anything like it before and it's just it's it's unreal how good he is in this movie and he deserves all the credit in the world and he absolutely 100 percent elevates this movie but what i think is so interesting is that there's like three ways you can judge this movie on its own as uh among the other batman movies and as a comic movie in general and as the comic movie in the comic movie genre it's amazing it's one of the best ever
0: and very influential
1: and very influential uh within the on its own i think it's pretty good within the batman trilogy i think it's pretty weak which it's in that it really has most mo- more to say about batman begins than either the other two but i just think it's interesting that depending on how you categorize this movie you can grade it differently but for me like i just think a lot of the same problems but not quite as egregious as the dark knight rises uh i agree i think the with chapin the the harvey dent character i think while well conceived never really is executed uh as well as i would have liked i i have very mixed feelings i'm not sure how i feel about aaron eckhart in the role um maybe we it, can again it's come it's, to a conclusion but
0: the this the idea that I mean, and it may be canon from the comic book, but who cares? Like, Nolan doesn't care about that. But this idea that, like, Harvey Dent is somehow this white knight. He's sort of the the good side of what Batman can be. And somehow he's going to replace Batman as this... You know what I realized about this movie? I am the Batman. What I realized about this movie is that... And why I think it fundamentally doesn't work is that you do root you you've got the joker and he's the main villain and this is his movie as you said and his thing is chaos and he wants to bring chaos to the movie he wants to bring chaos to gotham and because ledger is so good and because the character is so good you start to root for him a little bit you mm-hmm. like yeah. him you start to say you may you may not endorse, you know, raining chaos onto a city of twenty million people, but you start to empathize with his position a little bit. And then at the same time you've got Harvey Dent. The movie is trying to pull you this sort of schmaltzy old-fashioned filmmaking way away from that with this kind of like saccharine kind of staunch um morality that We've seen in Batman and that Bruce Wayne has talked about, but you see embodied in Harvey Dent and because it's kind of poorly written and Eckhart isn't anywhere near as good as um, Ledger, you don't care like and I think you, you know, in order for Nolan's vision to be like fully realized, you have to sympathize With Harvey Dent and you don't by the time like he burns you kind of don't give a shit because I don't know that character isn't you, you don't care what happens to him and you're more you're almost like oh well the Joker got away with it good good for him
1: I also think there's like a there's a little bit of like Nolan not knowing what he has like if you have the if you have the Joker in this movie, and Heath Ledger's performance, and granted, like maybe he didn't know he had Heath Ledger's performance when he's writing this story. But do you add another villain to this movie? Like that's ridiculous. That like that flies in the face of any like like smart thing you do when you well, have doesn't, like an iconic, doesn't the legendary villain show up too at some point at the beginning. Yeah, sort of at the beginning. Yeah, yeah.
0: but um, but you know what I'll say about that Lee is I think that that I mean, who knows what actually transpired on set but i i think the joker is a very well-written character
1: i do too i really
0: nolan uses him just enough i think you you might start i mean i don't know but i i feel like he leaves us wanting so much more of ledger and you know he's not in it that much like yeah his screen time is is minimal and i think it leaves you wanting and i think that's important
1: so I want to hear, Jeremy, like what yeah,
0: really, you really makes got, this you worse on for this, you.
1: Not, not only, I, I, I think I understand now why this has fallen for you. Yeah. But I don't know mm-hmm. why you think this is worse than Dark Knight Rises.
2: Well, I, I think it's what I said. I think I had some um, satisfaction with the Dark Knight Rises ending. I like that. Um, whereas this, I really couldn't give two shits about what happened after a certain point in this movie. And I just was almost exhausted with trying to follow the plot or even care how it came out. And I think there's not enough Batman in it. I think... Oh, I would agree the, with that. It, I think it's too frenetic. I, 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 I mean, once you, once you take the, the blinding um, glare of how good Heath Ledger is out of this, you're really left with a movie that... I agree you can't fucking wrap your your brain around and you're like, this, it, it doesn't, <sighs> yeah. Uh, but well, everything, not...
0: everything you're saying makes sense, but it's, I I, you, I mean, I feel like you, you gotta make, you gotta tell us why it's worse than The Dark Knight Rises because it's all
1: the same problems in Dark Knight Rises without the Joker and more of it, I think.
2: Because now, I could follow The Dark Knight Rises a little better. I think...
1: Oh my god! I don't know how. I don't know how that plot is just ridiculous.
2: Yeah, it, it, they're all ridiculous, and you know, like I said, you just do not care after a certain point. But I did, I did want to see the resolution to Batman because it became more about Bruce Wayne and Batman were a much bigger part of the Dark Knight ride. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. I could, yeah, I could follow that, and I wanted, like I said, that resolution with Alfred, all that sort of stuff. The fact that he lost to this guy, I think, was really important to me. Yeah, that Bane beat him was important. The fact he had to come back, even though it makes no sense, but yeah. <laughs> the fact he had to retrain and come back—that was something I could I could follow. Uh, <clears throat> and that, like, if you just took out all the sort of. Nuclear bomb. Who has the code, or who has this whatever switch or trigger or whatever they called it? Like you, you take all that away because none of that makes sense. I I don't understand why the cops are locked. I I mean, whatever. Anyhow, none of that makes sense. It's really about Batman. What is his story going to be? How, like, how is he going to get back to Gotham? How is he going to save this thing? Is he going to die? Uh, how are we go- how are we going to have any sort of <clears throat> resolution to this? And that is why I like that more. Because none of that is in the second half of The Dark Knight. You're sort of spellbound by the Joker, and then you're confused and you don't really care. I mean, the fairy sequence, I think, is terrible. I think all that's really bad. Again, it's
0: one of those hingey moments that like don't make sense to me.
2: Yeah.
1: So, so it's interesting okay, but, you mentioned but, that Go ahead. Yeah, go, no, go, go ahead, ahead, Lee, I'm sorry. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that you don't see enough Batman in The Dark Knight. And and that's
0: the part that bugs me the most.
1: Well, this is what's interesting about that to me is it, and and this is all part of what's always been my critique about The Dark Knight and then eventually as it to The Dark Knight Rises is that when you do see Batman, he's not Batman anymore. Like it's just a it's just a fight scene and it's you don't you lose that mystery. But when you do see Batman in The Dark Knight like it's all so silly and ridiculous. Like, there's the fucking skyhook scene. Like, what was that scene doing in this movie? Like, you, the, there's a way to do that in movies when you need to get Lao cut to Lao captured. And that's the end of that. But they have this massive set piece about him illegally going to Hong Kong and and illegally extracting this guy. And then the sonar stuff, which I guess that's why the Hong Kong scene is there to set that up for later in the movie but that's nonsense and like so every time you see Batman it's silly it's not interesting and so I think that takes away from so much of what we loved about what Nolan did with this character in this story
0: okay but let's switch gears here a little bit you can't deny the set pieces the way he made this movie it's revolutionary okay
2: there's and that's true. Which one? Dark Knight? Dark, yeah, Dark
0: Knight. Knight. He, and he it's so yeah, he he, entertaining. He uses fewer... He uses fewer see, no director has ever gone fewer CGI. We're going to do everything practically. We're going to take the scale of this movie and we're going to do it in camera. And those set pieces are fantastic. And he flipped fantastic. a fucking truck
1: over. It's awesome. It's so cool.
0: But that whole sequence, the truck is... is but if you like also the set exciting, pieces,
2: the Dark Knight Rises has those set pieces on steroids. It does, but they're
0: not as they're not as meaningful. They're not as exactly. well. I don't think they're w- as well done as they are in the Dark Knight. No, that,
1: the, your first point I, is I way more important. It's they're not as meaningful. They're, they're spectacle. Well, they're spectacle in the Dark Knight too. I know, but they're just they feel relevant a little bit more to the movie. I'm not saying they're perfect, but you guys have heard me critique this movie. I think over the years. It, I do have a question for you guys, though. Do you do you think that... I don't know where this comes from, but I notice this in a lot of movies, and it's particularly uh, noticeable in The Dark Knight, where Nolan is insistent on inserting dialogue in the middle of big action sequences, and it's always awkward, and... The SWAT team scene is the best example where the guy's like, "Is that a bazooka? I didn't sign up for this." It's just like ninja uh, cat up for stuff. This. Yeah, it's so it's such crap. And although it is funny in hindsight when you realize that he's saying all that stuff to Gordon, <laughs> who's driving that truck. But I wonder. I noticed that in some other movies of his too, and I wonder why he feels the need to do that. Like he has these amazing set pieces, these amazingly conceived and executed action scenes. And he always ins- is insistent on cutting to these silly one-liners.
2: Yeah, I think, I think Nolan struggles in general with
1: humanity. With, yeah, I was going to say comedy, but I think you're actually right. Like
2: like, he doesn't know how people he's act. he's a bit, he's a bit of a robot. He's a bit of a robot director. And I think he has a tough time. And I think that's, if I have anything negative to say about him as a director, it is that I, I think he has trouble getting to the core of characters because the characters for him serve the story. Not. Yeah. They're very, not the story. He's very like much they like they serve Kubrick, the story. Yeah. They serve the story. They're not the story, whatever. They're a piece of a puzzle that he's putting together. And I think that's
1: just a, a microcosm of that problem. I also felt like I had to be very disciplined when I was ranking this movie because I'm always, I'm always sort of tempted to rank it lower because of how high people rank it. Like I feel like people are so apologetic. I think it's of like this it's like number four on yeah, IMDb and, top and it has 84 on Metacritic. But like you know, I li- I've, I li- I listened to the. Uh, rewatchables on this, and they're and they're talking about that opening scene, the dialogue in that opening scene, which is bad ADR. It it's it sounds unnatural, and they're talking about how it's supposed to be comic booky, and like that's oh that's the whole point. I'm like no, the whole point of these Batman movies is that they weren't comic booky. Right, like, so so don't then say that it was the intention to have this scene sound comic book you know it's bad ADR it's unnatural dialogue and I feel like people are that's a microcosm of how apologetic people are of this movie and it drives me nuts because it's flawed I mean I don't think flawed.
0: there's anything wrong with that opening prologue but I, I know what you're saying I get what you're saying
1: it's a flawed movie it's super entertaining it's got an, a legendary performance that Jeremy you've always made this argument and I don't think that you should you should back off from it. You can't take that out of the movie. You can you can take it out of it and see how bad it is without it. But you can, yeah. it, but it's there. So as a result, this movie is better because of Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker. So I, I also well, think we can it all agree on to that.
0: Nolan's ability to perhaps not direct like the greatest performances, with this exception, but uh, but his ability to like. Bring talent to his films is impressive, and and has a really powerful result, right?
1: Yeah. And everybody scratched their head when they saw the Heath Ledger casting. Nobody exactly. knew what was going on. And, yeah. And this is what we got. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think I
2: think that's a point we should get into a little bit. We'll do our uh, our next one, but I do want to talk about performances in his movies. My all right. all my right. number
0: six is the Dark Knight, so we just did that.
1: Okay. My number six is Batman Begins. Oof. Okay. Wow, you put them all in Oh no, you had number
2: ten. Uh my number six is Interstellar.
1: Okay. Um What do you guys want to talk about? You wanna just go into Dark Knight I mean to Batman Begins to finish yeah, up the, ba- get, get get the Batman. Ba- That's
0: my number five, so
1: all right, so let me start here because I, I have long said, and I think Chape and you always agreed with me, and we always had, we had this little battle with Jeremy until now, that I have always said that this is the best Batman movie, and it, at least in the, I mean it is, but also in this trilogy, it's the best Batman movie. And what I always loved so much about it, and we've talked about it a little bit, is how grounded. He, yep. he made this. And, and, and what, it's, that
0: was his intention.
1: And that was his intention. And it worked so well in this movie. And you watch that first fight scene at the docks where you never see Batman. And that's the whole idea. It's the whole idea behind the League of Shadows. I mean, uh Ra's al Ghul or Liam Neeson, as uh, uh, he says, um, you know, I can make you truly invisible. That's the whole point. Everything is outlined. Everything is given. There, there's everything about Batman is is given a realistic reason and everything from his, the batmobile and uh his suit and all this stuff that he gets from Morgan Freeman's character and uh the the idea behind him being a a bat just like that he that fears him and his enemies will now share his dread it's all so grounded in realistic in this movie that it reinvented the genre. It reinvented the style of movie. And he loses that in the other movies, which was what always made those so disappointing. But that's what makes this movie so interesting is it's, it's what an hour before he's even Batman. Like it's, it's a truly unique and amazing origin story. Yeah. Well, that's what I have to say. And it's even higher
2: on my list. I won't even say what it is, but to me, what, of all the stories in all of those three Batman movies, nothing, nothing is more interesting than Batman becoming Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's something that you can easily wrap your head around. And it's not about defeating the villain as much in this first one. It's about Batman becoming Batman. And the villain is the guy who trains him. So that also... is. It, at least has some depth to it. Um, I still stand by my statement of, you know, the last third of the, even this movie. Don't care. Don't care about. I don't really, I, I my interest did not lay in him saving Gotham in this movie. My interest was him turning into Batman and how that all, all the, the logistics of that
0: yeah uh i would agree with everything you guys said i love that you know i think it's the most interesting part like the the sort of the legend that he creates i mean you you've had this character that we've all known for years who dresses like a bat and you're not really sure why and it's sort of silly and nolan explains that to you like he's trying to be scary and and he's trying to be a symbol and um i think that's really smart uh i would also say that um, Jeremy, to the point you just made, I, I think I do care about what happens. I think that what the difference between this film, this series and the other series is that Gotham is an important character in this and that like the city really matters. It's not like we're saving humanity. We're not saving the world Batman is saving the people of Gotham. And in this movie, it's Gotham as an identity. It's a place that was suffering um, economically during um, when Thomas Wayne was alive, when, when Bruce was younger. Um, they tried to fix it and then there was some economic prosperity and it's this big symbol that attracts the League of Shadows to sort of tamper down the, the decadence Um, and I, I think that that, that's really important because Gotham becomes this character in and of itself. It's not just like a substitute for New York or whatever. And I think, yeah,
1: which um, is, which is so also aggravating. Now I, I get it. Like a lot of the Batman begins takes place in what they call the narrows, which is supposed to be this like shitty area near Arkham. But like then cut to dark night and it's fucking Chicago. Like, yeah, <laughs> like or well, New York or yeah. wherever. Yeah. Or well, wherever I, they want to film. I, yeah,
0: I, I agree that there, there's some sort of, there's some like locations issues here, but I think that he in, very intelligently recognizes that Gotham as an identity is important and it's an important part of, of um, Bruce's identity and, and, and eventually Batman, Wants to save Gotham and the people of Gotham. I, you know, I, I'm not like crazy about the way that manifests in dark Knight and dark Knight rises, where it becomes this, like, you know, it, 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 it kind of, he sort of double downs on that. And, and it's not, I'm not super into the way that, that becomes, but I, I do think that that is an important part of the character, which I love about this series.
1: See, I, I I'm not, I, I don't think you're totally wrong, Jeremy, about the end of this movie. Because it is sort of like a... I mean, it's a, it's a comic book villain's plan that has to be resolved. And, and I think that's always going to be a little far-fetched. I just think... I actually... So, both villains in this movie, I think, are really interesting. I think Scarecrow is an underrated villain. I think Cillian Murphy is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. But I also think that Razal Ghoul Ghul and Liam Neeson plays it so well. I think he's so interesting. I, I love the last shot of him when he's dying. He knows he's going to die. The train's going to crash. And he just kind of closes his eyes and accepts his fate. And it's just such a, like, I don't know, there's no, like, no, like, this, like, you'd expect in a movie like this. I think it's just, it, it, it shows a sophistication that yep. this movie has. And I love that about this. And, like, I love I love Nolan's, like, I, there's, so, there's so much, like, Blade Runner influence in this movie. I think Gotham. The way he creates that look, I know he's a, he love he's a big Ridley Scott fan, and you can see that here. And I think he like takes that urban squalor aspect and like really applies it to Chapin's point about making Gotham a character in this movie. And like then then there's this like silly lines of exposition where Michael Caine talks about like uh, back back in the 1800s they used to use these tunnels for the underground railroad. Okay, seems like a throwaway line, but that's what the bat, That's where the Batcave came from. Like, everything is explained. Everything is realistic. Everything is grounded. And it's just so, so smart. And I think this is what just, like, made our jaws drop about what could be done with this genre and why we held this and the other Batman movies on such a high pedestal is because of what you got in this movie in particular.
2: Yeah, it changed everything. It changed everything we know about cinema, really, because, unfortunately, this movie... Was such a success, and it also took the um, the comic book genre and turned it serious. And how many have we had since then? How many bad movies have we had? Well, not just that. Try origin to, movies, like trying to replicate what Nolan did with
1: this series. <clears throat> and I want, like, I what I what drives me nuts is that the other Batman movies, specifically The Dark Knight. Get credit for what this movie did.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point.
2: I just think like the Dark Knight was just it just took it to the set pieces to another level, and then with Ledger's mm-hmm. performance,
1: people kind of that—that's yeah, sure. all they could think about. But that's a different thing, and and that's I fine. Agree. Like, I, you can I'm totally you can credit that you. movie for those things, but what this movie does is something that we hadn't seen before, and. I don't know. I, I I don't know how many other ways to put it. It's just so it's so smart. And I know this is my six, and Dark Knight is my number seven. There's a pretty significant gap between the two. Um, they all have to land somewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think this this movie is 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 so expertly done, and it and it's a fast moving. 140 minutes I feel like the other Batman movies they're longer but they also they drag and you talked about Jeremy like the second <clears throat> half or what are the end of them they, they just drag they just go on and on it's like yep. they all have one or two or three too many set pieces and this movie I think moves quickly and the structure of the script works really nicely you get from you, you understand everything that happens when, when Liam Neeson returns and and it's just like another smart piece of writing where where Christian Bale says or, or disguising your identity Uh, or using cheap parlor tricks to uh, hide your identity. And he's like, are you seriously accusing me of that? Like, it's just great. I love it. Yeah, no, I I agree.
0: One thing I wanted to point out, um, I think one of the keys to Nolan's successes is his collaborators. Um, And uh, so Lee Smith is... Has been his editor, I think, since I think he started on Batman Begins. Actually,
1: he did. Yeah, Dude, um, Dottie Dorn was his editor for uh, Yeah Memento and Insomnia. And you, do you know
0: what else Lee Smith edited and was Academy Award, I believe, nominated or even won for? Uh Mosley. Well, he Mass Command of the Far Side of the World.
1: Uh, of course.
0: So, this is a key collaboration for Nolan, and has he's worked with this editor. Up until actually Tenet, who he he was uh, th- this he, he won had,
1: for um, Dunkirk as well.
0: Yes, he had to step away to I guess stitch four shots together in 1917, but because of that, could not work on Tenet. <laughs> Don't know why. Um, but uh, I think he's a key collaborator, and I think this is the film that well, obviously it's their first film together. But like you really just see the way he weaves these different temporalities together. Like Bruce is a kid. Bruce is like right after college. Mm-hmm. Bruce coming back from. Um, and, and, you know, they are all at these different times and you're aware of like where these times are in relation to Bruce now. And I think it works so well and it's such an innovative and I think risky way to tell a, tell a story of this scale and of this kind of a a broad story that you, you know, like hundreds of millions of people are going to see it's, it relies, you know, it's a big risk and I think it totally paid off.
1: This was, uh, Nolan's first movie to get an Oscar nomination, um, Wally Pfister was nominated for best cinematography, uh, so that was that was the first, obviously, of many nominations his movies got. I, I'm wondering, guys, if you think it's worthwhile to talk about the Rachel Dawes character. I think so. Um, obviously, played by Katie Holmes in Batman Begins, replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal in The Dark Knight. You guys know my feelings about Maggie Gyllenhaal. So, look, I, I I mean, I don't think either one of them are are good actresses. I I'm, I actually think Katie Holmes is not bad in Batman Begins. I don't think she looks the part. Bad. I don't think she's too bad. I think um I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is, is a worse performance. I will say though, I noticed this this time around. Why is uh Rachel Dawes always sleeping with her bosses? Did you guys <laughs> pick up on that? Right, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess that's how she got ahead, but
0: No, we know Nolan's not great with the ladies. Yeah, I mean
1: it's, it's something to talk about. Like, but he this character, just, though, well, let's talk about that first. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, it, like we have, we're doing our best actors, actresses, supporting actresses, and it's really tough because he doesn't. He- I think it goes back to my point of like the all all the actors, male or female, are pieces, are set pieces for him. If this is a chess game maybe the females are the pawns like he just doesn't care enough he wants he he needs them to be a part of it but it's not going to be a thing that he's going to really kind of go out of his way to try and well she's
0: she's there just to be like an emotional crux for bruce and that extends See, from that Batman happens, Begins all the way through Dark Knight Rises, which she's not even in.
1: Okay, I think that that's true in in Dark Knight. I don't think that that's true in the first one in Batman Begins. I think, I know I'm pointing at you guys. <laughs> um, I uh, I think I think she's she is sort of a you know we surrogate say that for N- the audience. But
0: Nolan invented her for this for this movie. Rachel she's not. Dawes. She's not like canon. She's not like a. Oh, I,
1: I she's didn't not, know she's that. not she's, in the comics. No. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I I think that Katie Holmes, Rachel Dawes in Batman Begins, um, is sort of a bridge between what we like, what we want Bruce Wayne to be, and what he is, then what he becomes. And I don't think it's as much an emotional piece as as much as like a. a uh, storytelling piece like to push the plot forward like say here's, here's where Gotham is here's who Bruce Wayne used to be here's why he changed here's who he is now here's who he's going to become you know it's not who I am underneath it's what, it's what I do that defines me I think she's so, there for that so do you... and in The Dark Knight she becomes this emotional piece like will I be will, am I going to stay Batman because I can't, st- can't be with you and I think that's nonsense I, I never cared um yeah, and I don't and know how much a, I cared about her in this one either, but I feel like she works better.
0: I just yeah, I I I think I think it's interesting that she's in this film is a a moral kind of alternative for Bruce, right? Like he wants to strike fear in his enemies. He wants to vent he wants vengeance, he wants reciprocity. And she provides a little bit of an antidote for that, but it's she's just not developed enough even in this movie i think like i mean i think i don't know i i i think she serves a, a, the purpose she needs to in this film uh, I, I like her in this film i think but yeah it's I, clear nolan doesn't really care too i
1: really about like him. i really like her performance and i really like what she represents in that scene where she she drives him outside to down to outside of uh, falcone's place yeah and and that's where he admits that he was gonna was gonna kill uh the guy on trial he shows her the gun and she just kind of like slaps him and like doesn't say anything at for i think she's really good in that scene and she says your father would be ashamed and i i think that scene says a lot i think she's good in it and i think that's the point of her like it's just sort of to, sh- to show you that there's 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 this bruce wayne that was born and in, born into an affluent but moral family and he's sort of fallen down this path because of what's happened to him but there's good in him like i i just think it's a good bridge from from a to b in this movie and i think it works nicely
2: I also think there's a theme in, in Nolan's work of using women to explain his exposition. Well, his that's, yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: what gave you that idea? Um, and we'll get into that. A couple I, quick I things. Do, you guys noticed yep. Joffrey's in this movie? Yep, yep I did notice that, yeah. And then I also, I, ha- I had to... Little shit. I had to notice this because I'm like, I was really, I realized this watching it, and I'm like, what a bummer that Lucian, Lucius Fox isn't real because we would have had a, a vaccine for coronavirus in two days yeah because <laughs> that's how long it takes
0: I'd, and, i also uh, wanted to point out the the casting in this movie i mean obviously morgan freeman's fantastic actor michael Caine this is the first time they've worked together
1: Yeah, um, a lot of really good like
0: also gary yeah. oldman in like a surprising role i think he's really good at gordon specifically in this movie he, um, he
1: brings a lot of empathy to that oh role. completely cillian murphy is great as cream yep. that's a uh, that's an underrated and underappreciated character.
2: And
0: a lasting um, partnership between them. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, there's his actor
2: troupe, really. I mean, Mike uh, Kane and, and Ken, Ken Watanabe and, yeah. and, and Bale.
0: So we are on number fives?
2: We are, yes. yes. Okay, well,
0: my number five is Batman Begins, as I said. Uh, Jeremy.
2: Uh, my number five is Inception. Oh. My number
1: five is Interstellar. All right,
2: so we've had two. My number uh, six was Interstellar. All right, let's discuss. I actually enjoyed it a lot more this time around. So you guys It was are, one
1: of the surprises to me. You remember mm-hmm. what I said about Dark Knight Rises and that it's, it's good until it isn't? Um, I feel the same about Interstellar, except that when it's good, it's great, and it's great for a really long time. This movie does lose me at the end. Um, starting with when and this is your number six, Jeremy, right? Uh, my number six, yep um, starting with when when Cooper kind of falls into the fifth dimension and discovers you know how he ended up there and how he talked to Murph and from there to the end, where he steals a rocket and takes off i, I that that lost me, and i'm sure we'll get more to that, but everything leading up to the that that in this movie is just great. And some stuff we've never seen before, and it's, this is the movie I have the fewest notes on, I'll admit. But I'm—I was sort of just like going with this movie, like it's—it's it's really captivating and and kind of incredible. And I think the the big big set pieces are relevant and meaningful in this movie for the most part, and I think it works. I, I maybe have some issues with some of the themes that I don't know if they're totally realized and totally. Important, but none of that stuff really mattered.
2: Well, I think what struck me this time around was um, McConaughey's performance, which I loved. I thought he was great in it, and and the relationship, the the family dynamic between him and Murph that sort of kept, no matter where in space they were, like, I, I like to compare this to Ad Astra, because I think it's a much better version. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Of that, because of the again, it's family. It's a family sort of love or bond or however you want to call it that keeps that ties these two people together. Whether it's Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones or um, Cooper and Murph, and can like in, penetrate time interstell- and space. Yeah, Interstellar. So, um, and I, that really was effective for me this time around, which I don't think it was as much the first time. And I really appreciate it. And I also... This is where it sort of hit me just how important time is to Christopher Nolan as a theme. And how smart he is because time is such a weird thing to try to convey to an audience in any other medium but film. But film really is, at its essence, time sort of uh, solidified like you can pl- it's the only way you can play with time is yeah, you, through the film you really can it in any other medium it's true
1: yeah and, and so
2: and i think that's like it's been tried in
1: books and i'm sure successfully but like to be able to v- no, visualize it and see it is a totally different thing to see thing, yeah. to
2: see or experience time as something that you can manipulate or change or how it goes by like, I think, I, I think he's brilliant at that. And I think he uses the medium he's, he works in um, perfectly to, to sort of show his audiences that, and I don't think any other filmmaker does
1: that. There's such a powerful moment in interstellar when they land on that first planet and they get stuck down there and they know that that time moves more slowly there so for every second every minute every hour they're there years yep. are going by on earth even more time even time is going by faster on the spaceship where um where Romilly is and they get back and they see him and they realize it's been what is I don't remember what it like it's 27 20, years Twenty seven years. and like you it, they let that see they draw that scene out just long enough for you to comprehend that number they don't put too much dialogue in. There's a little line about, like, you know, did you go into hypersleep or whatever? And he says, I did for a little bit. He's like, I spent some time doing this. But they don't overcomplicate the dialogue. He, he just gives you enough time to realize that in that 20-minute scene that you were watching that was exhilarating, 27 years went by on this spaceship, which, is it even more on Earth? Like, I, I forget. It doesn't matter. But, like... It's just this very powerful moment where you realize, like, how fleeting time is. And that's what he's trying to emphasize in this movie. And I think all that stuff works so nicely. I think, again, I I have some issues with how they kind of try to incorporate love in Anne Hathaway's relationship with Dr. uh, The other, not Dr. Man, the other one um, Mm -hmm. in this movie. I'm not sure how well that works. I like the theme that they're trying to explore. I don't know if it's fully executed. Above all, though, this movie is just so entertaining. That docking scene is so good. It's one of the most exhilarating scenes I've ever seen on film. And it's a combination of the music. It's a combination of what Nolan is able to do in camera. um, And just that when, when McConaughey, when they're like, what are you doing? McConaughey just says, docking and that music kicks in like honestly like that that like I, I know we're going to talk about our, our best score and stuff but like I know Nolan gets some shit about like how he uses the score and Hans Zimmer's scores are too big and, and but like that's what like that's part of what movies are and I think this movie is an example of that like yeah, there's I mean, times when the two... score is supposed to swell and it is supposed to be the only thing you hear and it is supposed to manipulate and like and and it is supposed to like Have your emotions.
2: Nobody's ever react like uh, criticized uh, Kubrick when in two thousand one. You know you hear (laughs) that's a great right. That's a great point.
1: And like so like, dun dun. you're supposed to you're supposed to be moved by those things and like rea- and have a visceral reaction to them. And I think Interstellar is such a great example of that. And like it 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 goes back to what we talked about when we first started this show about how Nolan is in many ways just an old school filmmaker and he uses like the old school techniques to make his audience react. And I think Interstellar does that so well and it's just amazing to watch. I mean Interstellar
2: weirdly I you know I mentioned two thousand and one it's probably the closest i that Tree of life the closest to two thousand one that I can think of
1: yeah you combine Just those so, two movies and you yeah. have it yeah
2: and and weirdly you know nolan nolan can never <clears throat> venture that far off the beaten path he's when not, it comes to structure and he's story not quite that creative yeah 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 he can't he can't he has to hold on to it, which you know I'm a sucker for and I love but at a certain point, uh, yeah, I think that's what ultimately, I mean, not hurts, but just maybe doesn't rise uh, Interstellar to, you know, the
1: same prestigious, yeah. So, I want to talk about the ending of this movie. Chapin, you don't have to reveal where it is on your list, but maybe you can defend the ending of this movie? I don't know. Or maybe you can't, but... I thought maybe that'd be a good way to talk about it.
0: Yeah, listen, I think... I I think the stealing the the rocket, the spaceship, to go... The very end, yeah. The very end, to go to be with Anne Hathaway, who's half his age, and that romance was not really established. Like, did, were they even... They seem to dislike I each he, other. Is, is that what he he's doing? Her. I thought he was going to explore more sa-
1: worlds. I don't even know.
0: Explore, oh, I thought he was going to inseminate
1: I mean, her. Like, I mean, that's that's silly. A
0: bunch of other things
1: because like he spends this whole movie wanting to get back to Murph, and then spends like two minutes with her, yeah. and then he leaves. Um, yeah, that
2: that scene was really. Can we just talk about that scene? That scene was so bad. He walks into the room. Apparently, her whole family's there. Nobody says a word to him like, all his relatives that he doesn't know has never met, his, like, great-grandchildren, all in that room. Doesn't they look have at them. That, his, his, doesn't look at yeah. him. They have those two minutes. He, he, she says, uh, get out of here. Go to see Anne Hathaway. Uh, uh, you know, even though you've been waiting this whole movie for me. And uh, then the family walks back in and is uh, embracing her. And I'm like, why did they not say anything to him? So, okay, that being said,
0: it probably should have, but I I like the um. There's a name for it, but uh,
1: um. He goes into like the black hole or whatever. Right?
0: Yeah, so he goes in the black hole, and there's a, there's like a, basically the, future humans have created this like, um.
1: Five dimensionals. Five
0: dimensional volume that yeah. th- that can he can like sort of see, back through time, which is I think Nolan's way of, you know, the whole, the way, the where this movie developed from these, uh the physical, the physic uh yeah, hypotheses it's a, it's a of, real, of Kip yeah. Thorne. Yeah, they're real. They're based on these real things. And Spielberg d- was developing it to direct for a while. <laughs> His brother wrote the first draft of the screenplay. And then Nolan took it over and um it became Interstellar. And I think... You know, so it's it's a real and much like we've said about Nolan's past movies, it's grounded in this you know re- reality, which is really cool. Um, and so they've created this volume for him that he that he can um, that he can kind of communicate in the past, and and I think it's a really cool and creative way to do something that could possibly happen. Um, you, we find out that gravity can move back in time. Um, and he communicate, and I think it's I think what's what I like about that scene, which I understand is a little ridiculous and is both kind of like grounded and sort of not as creative as some of the things we've seen in Tree of Life or 2001, but also, um, it's not quite. It's also a little fantastical, so you've kind of got the worst of both worlds. It's also very expository. It's also very expository, but I I like that this movie unlike a lot of Nolan's hinges on this father daughter relationship, which is really well done. And it goes back to that and and it becomes the important linchpin of the story. And he does it there. He, he, you see all these elements coming together in that scene. And I think it's very powerful and emotional. And I mean, McConaughey, like the whole thing hinges on him and he does such a great job with it.
1: Okay, I, I mean I'll buy I'll excellent. buy that. I mean I I think the expository element is what really frustrates me about that scene. I mean just it's just like explained and then something else is explained. And like I, that really bothered me about that scene and it's something that I think maybe frustrates me a little bit throughout Nolan's movies. Although I also sort of accept it as part of what he does, so I'm comfortable with it and obviously we'll get to that with some other one of his movies, but um the father daughter st- relationship. But I think what
0: stands out here. I'm sorry, Lee to interrupt you. I what I think it stands out here is you've got this very like dry scientific movie. This movie rooted and grounded in science and physics, which I love. I love that. I love that. I mean, they to create that black hole, they actually got data from physicists and put it into a visual effects program, and that's what came out. And then, you know. What was it, like, two
1: years ago or something? Two years ago,
0: they got a real image of a black hole, and that's exactly what it looked like. It was incredible. It was like a real rendering of what a black hole would look like. Um, But with that, like, this is... I think this is Nolan's most most emotional film. And so you've got these two, like, this groundedness and this emotion, and he he weaves it together in such a powerful way.
1: So let's talk about that, because... um you mentioned the father daughter relationship. you mentioned the science of this movie, and a lot of that part hinges on Jessica Chastain's character Murph um, the adult The adult version of Cooper's Kids, which are played by uh, Jessica Chastain and his son is played by uh Casey Affleck I think is is interesting, especially the Casey Affleck story and we don't spend a lot of time on that, but like that's almost a whole nother movie yeah. which is interesting. I think he puts it in this movie just enough, and, and it works well, and I think that character is interesting, and it's a really nice juxtaposition for what Jessica Chastain is trying to accomplish, uh, kind of following in the footsteps of her father's work and, and um, Professor Brand's work, Michael Caine's character, in trying to solve this equation that will save humanity. Not totally sure I really understand what they're trying to do. I'm not sure... It, really matters um
0: well this is the hinging that uh, the hinging moment that bothers (laughs) the one thing that
1: bothers me about this movie
0: is that they leave with the understanding that there's two plans one plan is uh they have to solve this the riddle of gravity whatever it is
1: yeah
0: (laughs) um in order to get everybody off earth they have to solve the problem of gravity that's Plan A to get everybody to the to the, the 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 planet that they discover, and then Plan B is to just like drop a jizz bomb on it, and everybody, <laughs> <Yeah>. everybody, <laughs> you know, they 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 raise embryos essentially. Um, but then you find out again this secondary is, protocol. You find out that
1: got stole that straight from Armageddon.
0: Yeah, that um, Kane knew he couldn't solve the 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 gravity problem right he had solved it and realized that he needed to see into a black hole to get it and it becomes this emotional linchpin that are like why did we why did we need this right what is this and there's like this big betrayal and like
2: didn't understand like why he and maybe you guys maybe there is an answer to this question but when he's in that sort of time space thing where he can communicate with Murph. He does he he communicates with her twice. Once through the watch, which is ultimately the answer, but he also tells her to tell him to stay, but also told uh, himself to go. But also told himself
1: like it, it Th- that's what I mean. That- that's why that scene bothers me. Like it's just it's trying to it's trying to wrap everything up Everything about this movie trying to wrap it up in this one and scene the, and it's just because there's some yeah. sort
2: of alien being amazing, but there you know, isn't though human. it turns out that there
1: isn't like they keep talking about it as like they like they told us to go, they told us to do this, and it turns out that there wasn't that, it was just him, he told himself to go he told no, but Marf there is Thomas a day there is a they that built that little,
2: but that's future humans,
0: yeah, it's not yes. an alien intelligence
1: or something Well, we don't know that
2: no, they say that.
1: They, say, they speculate it. Well, you can see why that scene lost me a little bit.
0: Sure. I mean, it's a lot of, but, like, yeah. I have the, my big problem is the silly, like, Dr. Brand lied to us, like, well, who cares? Like, yeah, that, fucking, yeah. like, the world is at stake. Like, a
1: lot of that stuff doesn't work on, that back stuff back on Earth doesn't work for me. I, I just feel like it's, it's convoluted. Um, I think Jessica Chastain is really good. I mean, I think... She, I mean, she's a great actress, but I think she, she somehow manages to, I don't know that she grounds that aspect, or like, makes that more understandable, but she brings the emotion to it. Like, she brings this idea that, like, she has to solve this equation so she can see her father again. Just like yeah. Cooper has to find where, you know, they can... Habitate so he can get home and see his daughter again, and that's what you talked about, Shape, and It's that emotional piece of this movie of that father and daughter just trying to get back to each other that really works. And it's it's then what makes that last scene suck so much, where he goes and sees right. her in the hospital <laughs> right. or whatever for like two minutes.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I agree. And I, uh, I yeah. mean,
0: they've given her shock therapy for. Oh no, that's a different movie. Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah. And there's a line. There's a line early in the movie that. I was like I really liked where he was talking to Anne Hathaway and she goes did you tell her Murph that you're going to save the world and he goes no because you know one thing becomes apparent when uh you become a parent is that you you try to keep your kid
1: <laughs> your kids safe yeah right?
0: it's a great, one thing does become apparent when you become a parent
1: yeah um, two, th- no, two I, things I, actually do I love that. Um, and
0: I love the world that Nolan creates that the, 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 world of life on, on earth, it's like, it's so Nolan cause it's grounded in this reality. Like there's no, there's a little bit of, you know, kind of future technology, but for the most part, it's this world that, you know, halted innovation around 2014 and I think that's a really, you know, most of the world's population is gone, but life continues. You know, it's kind of, and it was sort of prophetic to watch it during coronavirus. Like, you know, you right. you you see that. Well, yeah, there's this cataclysmic thing happening, not quite as badly as it is happening in Interstellar, but you know, life goes on, and you you know, you go to still have to wear masks. You still have to one. wear masks. Yep. Yep.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, it, it was. There were definitely moments where Sarah and I looked at each other, like, "Oh wow, yeah, I, I could see this. We need to get off of Earth."
0: <laughs> and the, uh, McCon- right. the McConaughey character, I think, is, you know, maybe with the exception of the Ledger's Joker, maybe Nolan's most interesting
2: character. Um, and in also interesting casting. Although that was was the that during this. The McConaughey, you know, yeah, he
1: was big, he, he was in everything then. Okay, um, all right, where are we? Fours, yeah, we're going on to fours.
0: My number four is Dunkirk, wow,
1: Dunkirk, McCurk. my number four is Memento, and my number four is
2: Batman Begins.
0: Oh, god, we're gonna get, I feel like we're creeping up on Jeremy. All right, so we have two one.
1: mementos listed
2: yeah so what who chapin had uh what number did you have it at chapin <laughs> number seven okay Oof. explain <laughs> yes please explain yourself I, that's so low
0: guys okay this is this is the i mean this is not gonna earn me any points but this is the fight club explanation it's that this movie blew my mind when i saw it so influential so amazing but you know you see it a couple times, and that's you, the, the you know the trick's been revealed.
2: You know, The prestige, the prestige. Uh,
1: yeah. So I haven't seen it. Wait, what years. are you? What are you
2: writing? What are
1: you writing? Sorry, Chapin Where she- was? Ha- have you mentioned the Dark Knight yet?
0: Uh, yeah. It was my number six.
1: Oh, that's why. All right, never mind. I'm all set. Sorry, I wrote the wrong thing down. Um, sorry, guys. Sorry to sidetrack Fucked us. Fucked it all up. Um, it's funny that you said that, Chapin, about how this was this movie blew your mind. So, my number four and my number three, I have very vivid memories of seeing, and it's a kind of amazing how vivid my memory is of seeing this. I saw. Wait, this. sorry.
0: What was your number? This is your. What was your number four, Lee?
1: This is Memento is my number four. Oh, excellent. Okay, and so, Jeremy, Batman Begins. So I saw this. Jeremy, at the West Boylston Cinema, you know, that second run theater. Did we see it together? Nope. I saw it with yeah. my brother, Jay, who I'm oh, sure. probably yeah, totally understood all Yeah, which I feel bad about, but I'm sure I saw it with him because in 2000, I was 16. So I would not have yeah. been able to go see this by myself. So I brought Jay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I saw this. This was a nine o'clock showing. Like, this is how vividly I remember this. And I am not sure that I've ever had my mind blown leaving a theater like I did with this Totally.
0: Movie. And I don't mean... Like, not, and
2: just because
1: it's so low doesn't not, mean it's... No, no, no. And we'll get back to that. And like, we'll get back to your incorrect response, We will. <laughs> but, like, so... Like, I, I don't... I can't overemphasize, like, how impactful this was for me. Like, this... I, I had never seen anything like this. I didn't know you were allowed to do this to, to, to make a movie that yeah. goes backwards. And so... There is a little bit of that still lingering in my feelings I, towards this movie, and I, don't, I think this it still
2: fucking works.
1: It does. Th- it totally works. It totally works. I. It's, it's my not number a four. gimmick.
2: It's not just like a. I'm not saying it doesn't work.
1: Okay, I I think this is going to be best if we hear Chapin's opinions and just then we can just tell him how he's wrong. That'll be the best. Look, way to
0: go. guys, it works. It's it's a great movie. Like every movie on this list is good. I'm not saying it's not. I just think that you. Once you're, once Wait, you have re- some of
2: the Batman movies before this.
0: I do. I have I two ones. of them.
1: Um, I just, uh, uh, so you don't have you don't have a reason for this being that. You're long.
0: right. It, you, it should be higher. You're right. It should be. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It just that I just did not enjoy my rewatch of this.
1: Okay, so let's let's.
0: I don't. I don't know what to say.
1: So, All right, so here, This I can is, Nolan, this is Nolan's bit. second movie.
0: So, Brilliantly written, conceived on a cross-country trip with his brother Jonathan, who's gone on to write the equally absurdly overrated, uh, what's, that, what's that show called? Fucking
1: Westworld? Westworld, Ugh. yeah. They, first, he, season, he... first season was interesting.
0: Okay. So, sorry, Lee, go ahead.
1: Well, so I was just going to say this is his second movie, and you can see how he got here from following like the non-linear storytelling, mm-hmm. the kind of basically following one character's journey, um, the moral ambiguity, like all like all these little things that you saw. And this is like, again, the perfect example of the stepping stones that you saw Nolan take. Um, he just got a little bit bigger in terms of scale and budget and, and everything that he did. And I just think this, while while a lot of the movies we've talked about, the Batman movies, Interstellar, like, you see what he is capable of in terms of scale and production value and set pieces. These early movies of his following in Memento show you how talented he is and how creative he is as a storyteller. And I think Memento is an is a amazing example of that, of what you can do with a story and how you can make well, I think, unique I think it goes- <clears throat> things work without them being gimmicks.
2: I think it goes back to my point about him understanding film in a, almost in a way that no other director has ever understood it.
0: Completely. I mean, a, 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 any other creative person who tells... Any other storyteller.
2: Yes. It's because he he has the medium, and he knows how to manipulate time and space with it. And that's what he, like, sort of shows off in a very grandiose way in Memento. By having a character that can't remember anything, and then also having you put as an audience member in that situation every time a scene starts. Yeah. Because, you know, Leonard's always like, how did I get here? what What's happening? I'm chasing this guy. Oh, no, wait, he's chasing me. And you're as an audience member, trying to piece it together just like he is. Well, they have
1: Mark Mark Boone Jr. has that great line in where he says it's it's all backwards. You know what you know what you're going to do next, but you can't remember what you just did. And that's how the movie plays. You know what happens next, but you don't know yeah. what he just did and and it's so it's so great. Like I just and I love and you talked about time again, it's another great example of of him kind of messing with the ideas of time. Like, you have no idea where this movie falls in in uh this character's Leonard's Leonard's life. life. Yeah. Like, yeah. how long ago did his wife die? Like, how many people has he killed? <laughs> like it's right. just like How many
2: John G's or yeah. Jimmy G's has he killed. Where in did his life? where did
1: Teddy and Natalie really come from? Like, you know their sort of origins and like how they got involved, but like especially Teddy. Like when did he get involved with him? Like I love the ambiguity ambiguity of that, and in this I movie. love
2: how they, he doesn't explain it.
1: I feel like if this is a Batman movie, he would explain
2: all of that stuff, but he doesn't need to. You know that these people are taking advantage of this character for f- because of his condition, and that's all you need to know. Yeah, I, I
0: would also say that I think this movie, and maybe the Prestige, are the only th- only times when Nolan is actually saying something about humanity. I mean, it's like the Leonard Shelby character. His desire for revenge, you see how sort of empty it is, right like you see how empty vengeance well, and re- yeah, is because he he I mean obviously he doesn't remember, but even even if he were to remember, it doesn't matter it, like he's convinced in his mind, in his mind as a survivor who knowingly understands that he doesn't remember things, he will know. The moment he kills the real John G because he will have this feeling of completeness and he never does like you, you under, as you understand it, he's killed many people. And yeah, and and I I think think that that's a, such a powerful and interesting thing that Nolan reveals in this movie.
2: Yeah. And, and to extend that point, it's like Nolan is talking about how we all sort of just create our own worlds like, we, we lie to ourselves to sort of justify our means. And it's just taken to an extreme example here. And I think this is what... I mean, if there's ever just, like, a giant step forward from
1: a previous movie, it's between the following and memento. I wonder... It's interesting, too. Like, we've talked about Nolan's interest in time. He also clearly has a very unique interest in memory, because uh, mm-hmm. in this movie, he talks about how memory is unreliable and, you know, you can't you can't solve a case on that. It's based on facts. And then he also with Inception, he talks about how you can't you can't create worlds using your memories. You have to imagine new things. Mm. So, like, he clearly has a, like a, <laughs> a, a relationship with memory. I don't know if something happened <laughs> in his past where, like, he, he's uncomfortable with what memories serve, but he clearly doesn't um, doesn't believe in, like, the power of memory. Yeah, no. It's, or I it's, guess he believes in the power of it, but he's suspect of that. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Look,
0: I. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, the only thing I can explain here is that I totally recognize the importance of this movie. I lo- I love this movie. It was very impactful when I saw it. It blew my mind, as I said. But you know, with Nolan, probably more than any of the other directors we've done on the retrospective, I've revisited his revisited his movies the most. You know, this one just does it, it just doesn't it doesn't rise to the top as much for me. It's Sharp. not one that I remember that much. And so,
1: yeah. I will nitpick a little bit. I wonder like so the scene where he hires the hooker to reenact his wife's death, where does that? Mm. What is what is that that scene's place in this movie? I'm not sure. I totally he try, he's trying he's
0: trying to like wake himself up to something,
1: right? Is he like
2: I mean then that I think if that's the case then that, I something. I think I think he just wants to have the experience where he wakes up. And thinks his wife is still there.
1: Yeah, maybe that's what he
2: wants. He wants to have that moment where he looks around and he's. I guess it's his his last memory, so he wants to
1: experience it again. Like you would, like you would any memory, you'd want to experience it again. I guess. Yeah,
2: Uh, and as perfect as this movie is structurally in the screenplay, which that's something I, I feel like we haven't really talked about because i I feel like this is really the first movie where it applies but nolan as a writer is fantastic when it comes to structure Mm -hmm. of his screenplays
1: like maybe one of the best ever him and his brother i agree and this this is a great example of it and and look i i do think his he his writing gets away from him at times and i think we gave examples of that with especially the Batman movies Um, I think he but when he's starting to be clever but the thing like well what happens I think and I can like almost see it happening like he creates these storylines and you know all these plot points that need to fit together and then in trying to connect them all as, uh, as, as someone who is a good structured writer would do sometimes it becomes overly complicated and convoluted and too much and I think that happens in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises especially, but Memento is a perfect example of staying within the rules that you've created for yourself, structuring it appropriately, and and doing it in a unique way and in a new and in a new way, which is which is great. What so when did irreversible come out? Before this or after this? After. After. Not that I think that e- either of those necessarily had a uh, influence on each other. I was just curious. Um very interesting casting in this movie too yeah mark, he mark really boone jr with, is the only other one that shows up and and doesn't his really movies. work with
0: them again right
1: uh but guy pierce is obviously great i mean carrie ann carrie ann moss and, and joe Pantaleona is they just came off the matrix they were both on the matrix years. and i think um i think joey pants recommended carrie ann moss or vice versa i can't remember to nolan based on their work in the matrix um but yeah, interesting casting. I think Carrie Moss is great in this movie. I think Joey Pants is good too. Um, mm-hmm. But Carrie Ann Moss is great. She's like a femme fatale. Like it's a it's a character type you don't see a lot anymore. I agree.
0: Yeah, she. I think this is her best performance. It it sort
2: of begs the question of why she didn't do better work.
1: That's yeah, a good point.
2: Okay. I wonder. I wonder oh, if sorry. they they cast them because of the Matrix. Because there's a lot of sort of similar questions that this movie ass that the matrix did as far as reality and
1: yeah maybe I don't
2: know um, yeah okay alright you want to move on number three let's move on
1: oh Taping. yes number three
0: interstellar
1: okay number three for me is inception okay that was my number five
2: Um, what's your number three all right, so this is one of my hardest. I've been going back and forth, back and forth, but I'm going to stick with my original list and go with my number
1: three is Dunkirk. Okay. Okay. right. So, um... And, Chapin, yours was Interstellar. So let's talk about Inception. Um, Jeremy, that was your five. number five, and mine are number three. Is that all right, Chapin? Is that all right with you? Yeah. What's, okay. So, what's, what, so this... So Inception. <laughs> so this is the other movie that just... I remember so, so specifically seeing it in the theater. Jeremy, this time I was with you. I think Brantley was with us as well. We saw it at the IMAX in Framingham at Jordan's Furniture. And again, mind blown, officially blown. And I have never, ever anticipated a movie like I anticipated Inception. Jeremy, I think you were the same way. Chapin, I imagine you were close to that as well. We watched this trailer more times than I've seen most movies. Like, I, I just, I don't, I can't describe how much we anticipated this movie. It's one of the best trailers ever. So everything about it had us so excited. And when I left this movie, and when Jeremy asked me this question on our inaugural Get Your Film Fix podcast, I said that this movie met my expectations. And I, I, I don't think I can emphasize how incredible how, how incredible of a praise that is. And here's the thing. I recognize the problems with this movie, and I don't give two shits about any of them. Every time I watch this movie, I am enthralled and enjoy it start to finish. I have no issue with plot holes, exposition, excess music, anything. I'm fine with it all. I think it works. I think this is a, a amazing example of creativity meets I don't know, whatever it is Christopher Nolan does. Like <laughs> Um
2: yeah, I mean I I don't disagree with you. I just the, to me the emotional connection is not there with Inception. I don't I don't it's not that I don't care, but the whole thing with Leo and his wife just doesn't that's the emotional sort of anchor of this movie and I don't really um, I don't feel it as much as I think Nolan wants you to and then obviously there's the stakes to this movie that we've talked about and when everything's a dream the stakes become Even if you you do say, oh, well, if you're in the whatever third level, you could could get stuck there. Um, I think for that reason, it sort of pushes it down to my number five. But it's just the brilliance of the screenplay and the brilliance of the idea and how cinematic this movie is,
1: is amazing. It's amazing that he's done this, so I think the again, and this comes back to me recognizing the flaws in this movie, but what I think allows those things to be overlooked for me is that there is a mission in this movie, and the goal is to complete that mission, and they do, and that's what I want them to do. So it doesn't matter what, whether they can die or whether they fall into limbo the 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 stakes are complete the mission or don't and they do and that's why I like I think about the end of this movie and the ambiguity of it with the spinning top and I like to think about it that I like a lot of people say like oh he is dreaming or he isn't dreaming I like to think that he isn't that he has completed it and he is free to go home because that's the point he completed the mission so he's home now. like and I'm fine hearing other theories but like that's how I look at this movie and that's why I think it works Chapin
2: has this come up on your list or no it has not <clears throat>
1: okay.
0: Um, the one thing I was wondering when I watched it this time around that I again, just shows how layered this movie is. You see something every time you watch yeah, it. Yeah, Totally. How do they know that they are successful? That's a good because point. The, yeah. <laughs> the goal is that he is supposed to break up his father's company. We don't know that that happens. Uh, well, because no, he characters... says
1: he does say it to he says it to um, when Hardy is disguised as Tom Berenger on the shore. He says he's like that's what I'm gonna do, Uncle Peter, and he like admits that he's he's gonna uh, be his own man or something. Oh, okay. So okay. he does he does say it too, and I think that's why you why Hardy has to be there, um, disguised as Tom Berenger in that scene, so that he'll he'll tell him that. And that what that's when they're still in the dream, um, after they got off the the bus that Yusef was driving. So they haven't come come back to the plane yet. Right.
0: Part of me. I mean, there's so, a
1: ton of plot holes. There's so many. I don't plot think. I mean, holes. well,
0: that that that's great. I mean, good okay. For well, Nolan, he this that would out, be but-
1: like a whole podcast, which would be fun to do. Is we're like we each just give a plot hole and see if the other two can explain it. Like my my thing that I wrote down is if Saito is so powerful that he can erase a murder charge with one phone call, why can't his company compete with Fisher's? Wait, it's a murder. Yeah, he's he's. Cobb's oh, accused, of, accused of murdering ma- Marion Cotillard. But, like, yeah, why yeah. can't he, why can't his company compete with Fisher? He's so powerful, he can make one phone I don't call. Think,
0: I don't think that's a plot hole. I think the plot hole is that he can make a call and erase a murder.
1: Well, that's that too. But, I mean, there's a ton. It doesn't matter, though. That's the whole, like, that's what's so great about this movie. And, like, I just love, I love that. You can find an—I a- mean, stuff like that. Forget about it. But you-, you can find an answer. You can talk your way into an answer for like some of the plot hole questions. Like I heard, how come Cobb can't see his children's faces? And it's because their memories, not projections. If they were projections, he could—they ha- could do whatever they want. But memories, he- they never turn. So like, there's always an answer for it. Like you can always find it, even if it doesn't totally make sense. It shows you, like you said, Jeremy, how layered this script is, and how like fully. How how much Nolan had a grasp on this, okay? Like yeah, and, even
2: e, even with the fl- like even with the flaws, you're just in awe
1: that this works in on any level. And he made the physics and the mechanics of the dream within the dream within the dream work. Well, there's there's the time thing, the t- and it works. It works brilliantly. Yeah. It works better here than it does in Interstellar, and I think it's. I, I just, and what I it's so what I think is
2: brilliant is those moments when he's not technically in a dream, like when he meets Tom Hardy's character the first time, and then they start like firing at him, and he has to like run away. That's the most I felt like an uh, somebody's ever filmed a dream when he's trying to get through that little like uh alleyway yeah and he's like sort of stuck and he can't dream, really yeah. make it but, but maybe well it i mean maybe you is. don't know oh well yeah but the way that, theory, that he, yeah. the way that he filmed it like that whole section felt like an actual dream so
1: I, go ahead Chapin.
0: i think the the moment that kind of solidified my i'll, I'll just say that like this is the moment <laughs> This is the movie I was waiting for my entire life when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just this is like everything I wanted in a movie. You know, like you watch you watch a Bond movie and, and he kills a bunch yep. of people. Got and a little bit of that. Yep. You don't under, You don't. You, you know, like you, you you worry about the moral ambiguity of that and like what's going on there. And um, this is just everything I wanted in a movie. Um, but I will say, watching it this time, I had to sit back and say we essentially watched. Tom Hardy play a level of Goldeneye fully realized, oh, and then yeah. but it's he's got so a, great. And then and then it ends with <laughs> Killian Murphy's character having an emotional catharsis from a deeply planted subconscious, um, you know, emotional moment. And it's like this this is filmmaking. I mean, this movie is
1: about okay. Filmmaking, I'm so right? glad like, that you said that because. Everybody says that stuff about, like, I, I shouldn't say everybody. That's totally not true. Naysayers of this movie say what you just said and then end it with, like, and it's ridiculous and it doesn't make sense. But, like, that's not the fucking point. Like, what you said, this is filmmaking. Like, this, the, you you have to suspend disbelief. You have to let yourself be, like, brought in and enthralled by what's going on. Like, you have to have emotional ups and downs in this movie. like, And it's another example, like I said, with Interstellar, with the music and everything. Like, you're supposed to be manipulated by the music. And I think that's all here. So yeah. when people criticize this movie for having potholes and things not making sense and, like, it just being a level of GoldenEye, I think that's annoying. Like, who doesn't well, want to watch a, a scene from GoldenEye? Like... <laughs> Like, with Tom Hardy. Okay, so
2: what Nolan's doing, Nolan somehow figured out a way to make films that only films can do. And it's, like, amazing that it it isn't or it hadn't really been done before. Like, he... I don't know how to describe it. He's thinking on a level that no other filmmaker is thinking on. Well he says, what can my medium do? What can my medium do and I want to go there. He says
1: why not? Like he says you know like what's that JFK famous JFK speech where the where they say um, Ask not what your country can do for you. (laughs) No, maybe it's not JFK. But you say like I actually don't think it's JFK, but whatever. He says like some people ask why other people it's ask, Bobby, why not? Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy. So people ask, why not? Nolan asks, why not? Where you say, yeah. well, you can't... That doesn't make sense. You can't do dream... You can't do movies about dreams. That's dangerous territory. You can't manipulate time. That's dangerous territory. Well, why not? And that's what Nolan has done in his career. And he's done it successfully because he, he like, pushed the limits. He challenged the norms. And I think Inception is, is the, the first example of it because... You saw him reinvent a, a genre with Batman Begins, and, but like the stepping stones I've been talking about. He did Dark Knight, and he probably did the whole Batman series to a certain extent to be able to do movies like Inception. And this is where he said, look at what you can do with this medium.
2: But it's a, it's a, a nearly 100-year-old medium, and he's still reinventing it. That's where he needs the most credit. But he's reinventing it, and he's, and he's deconstructing it. Well, he's deconstructing it to its basic elements of what it can do. Like a lot of... And he's not my favorite filmmaker, but like you you look at PTA or um, not necessarily Tarantino, but let's just say PTA. PTA is going to take the... take. He's continuing to do the, the
1: things that his, people who have influenced him.
2: Right. Did. Well, he's going to take the medium and, and use it as a sort of emotional guidepost. And he, I like him more as a filmmaker than I do Nolan, but like, he's he's not using the medium in a way that it extends what you thought the medium can do. And to be fair to everybody else, you almost don't think that there could be, somebody could come up with something new at this point in the history of film. But he is taking and using his screenplays and doing something new that advances the history of film uh, in a way that we didn't think at this point was possible. And that's the credit that I think you should take out of this.
0: I think you can, um, when, when you say things like inception is about making movies, there's, there's subtext in film that is explored in ways that, I often find sort of meaningless like, okay, so what, you know, like or interpretations that are sort of so beyond the pale of what the film seemingly is about that you are like, well, Jesus, like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, um, but I think Nolan, like he loves filmmaking and I think his goal as a filmmaker is the goal of these characters. And I think there's something kind of pure about that here. Like their, their job is to achieve an emotional catharsis and that's the filmmaker's job. And I think there's no like, there's no like hidden meaning here. We're not trying to like, there's no metaphor. It's literally like they're, they are, they are becoming filmmakers because they need somebody to make a decision and they're planning it and they're, they're, they're planting the seed, which is what every filmmaker does. And I think that's really interesting. I think that that's, it's not like subtext in other films, you know. Yeah,
1: I, there's a line in this. I, so, so there's all there's been all this there's always been all this talk about how like in, the characters in Inception are like surrogates for the characters on a film set, which maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I sort of hate that. I think it's a, an annoying marketing tool. But there is a, a line in this movie where DiCaprio says, "We create the world of the dream, and then we bring the subject into that dream." That's what Nolan does. He creates the world of the dream and he brings his subject, us as audience members, into that dream. And I love that kind of, like, immersiveness. I think that's so great. I don't know that there's a lot of movies that can do that. Brilliant. Brilliant film. It's a brilliant film.
0: Okay, what are we on?
1: We're on to number twos. Number twos.
0: The prestige.
1: Is your number two? Yep. Also my number two is the prestige. Uh it memento. My number two. Man, this is interesting. This is really
2: uh, do we want to just so get into number ones? About, we've and talked then... about
1: the prestige we have two prestiges, we have we've talked about memento, we have two Dunkirks. I mean you wanna just list our number ones and we'll talk what do we have left to talk about? Prestige and Dunkirk, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So we might as well just yep. lift list our number ones.
0: My number one is Inception.
1: Mine is Dunkirk. Mine is The Prestige. Wow! Amazing! Oh amazing! Oh my God! All right. So what do we talk about? What do we talk about? Wait, what was here? yours, Lee? Dunkirk. Dunkirk. That was my number three. Can we talk but about really, Dunkirk? Can we talk about Dunkirk? I really first? had. And then we'll talk about The Prestige. Yeah. Because the prestige okay. very nearly was my my number one. In fact, as, when a, I, as was mine, it when was I watched when I so as you know, I watched these in order. I got to the prestige, I watched it, and I said, "Okay, this is it. This is number one." And then I got to Dunkirk. Now, Chapin, I know you listened to the re- rewatchables with Quentin Tarantino on Dunkirk. Jeremy, did you have a chance to listen to it? I did. Yes, I did. Okay, so what he said is literally what has happened to me with this movie. Saw it the first time. I enjoyed the spectacle, okay? <laughs> watched it again. I started to like it a little bit more, but it was still the spectacle. I watched it the third time, and I realized we have never seen anything like this. This is and, – and we've talked a lot about Nolan reinventing things. He had reinvented movies with Dunkirk.
0: Jeremy, I have a question for you, and it's a very yeah. important question. Yeah. Is this better or is 1917 better?
2: Uh I think Dunkirk's better than nineteen. Yeah, that, you, you think you <laughs> think Yeah, no, it is. It's I, better.
1: So yeah, so I, I I don't I don't know. Like I just think what he did here is such an experience. The only other movie I've ever really defined as an experience is Gravity. Um Yep. Which I still I, don't even think that movie is anything like this. Like I don't even I don't know how to describe it because it's never been done before. Somehow he managed to have you – somehow he managed to develop characters and have you care about them without having them ever talk or giving them names or allowing you to get to know them. Like Tom Hardy's a perfect example. Like he's this matter-of-fact character. Like he, everything he says is very matter-of-fact. You really just hear him in the cockpit. But then when he – so like you kind of start to understand him as somebody who would just do everything by the book. So when he makes that decision – to throw caution to the wind and forget about how much fuel he has left and go and save everybody, that's an emotional decision that he makes, and you experience that. When you watch all these characters on the beach try to, like, sort of, <laughs> I mean, Theo White, Whitehead in particular try to, like, do literally whatever he can selfishly to get off this island, you sort of feel for him and understand why he would do it. And then Mark Rylance, who is so good in this movie, along with the, the the kid who plays his son, and I want everybody to please start getting on the Barry Keenan train, who's so good and sympathetic on the boat, like that. Ooh, does he play, George? He plays George. He plays George. Sir. Like the like his like so few lines, just for his. I, I can see, be useful. I just,
2: like I watched the uh, Killing of Sacred Deer, which is he's very good yeah. in, but very yeah, different. Very, very different. different. Yeah, but
1: he's good in Chernobyl. Like he has this little role in one of the Chernobyl episodes. Um, but anyway, like, I just think this movie is, is got so much emotion to it somehow with characters not talking to each other and the, the, the visuals in this, like this, this movie to me, I know I'm rambling. This is the big middle finger that Nolan gave to all his critics. They're like, Hey, you think I, I fucked up the sound mix on uh, on Interstellar and Dark Knight Rises? Fuck you! Look at how look what I do here. You think I use music too much? Look at how well I use it here. Like I just think he did everything so perfectly in this movie. I I was amazed. I don't know how it took me three viewings to watch, but took Tarantino three also. So I felt a little bit uh, <laughs> emboldened in and that. That I but. mean,
2: one of the other things to talk about is what we've been talking about this whole time, he somehow figures out another way to manipulate time that you don't really think about. Because you have this the three sort of sections of it, land, sea, uh, and then in the air, uh, and you don't realize it because he never clues you into it, but you're seeing things over and over again from those different perspectives and how long each one of them took and where each character was at those times. And again, this goes back to what cinema is and what you can do with the medium. I don't, I, I'm actually kind of shocked. We haven't seen It's so simple. I know You're almost like shaking somebody and said, like, why haven't we done this before?
1: It's just so, it's just such a stunning movie. I mean these wide shots over the ocean of the plains that are like that are still and it's funny I was watching this and (laughs) I kept being like clouds we need clouds why how come no one didn't need clouds (laughs) but how are you clouds yeah clouds (laughs) clouds. but it's so the music intensity it's like it's pulsating this whole movie and like the the clock ticking which maybe that's a little like over analyzed but it works so effectively but like. Like the pulsing of this nature, and that's what I mean. It's an experience. Like there's nothing we've ever seen like this. Like he didn't. It's weird. There's it's no a formula. He story. didn't follow any guidelines of like how you make a war movie here. He did everything, everything differently.
0: But it was so deliberate too. It's like exactly not like he stumbled on it. either. Right.
1: It was just like he somehow figured out that I I can make and and it's brilliant if you think about it. He's just like I want to make a war movie. Fuck! Like, shit, how am I supposed to compete with Saving Private Ryan? He's like, I'm going to do literally everything differently. I'm going to do something that no one has ever done—not just in war movies, but in film in general. I'm going to—I'm going to make this literally like a, a a trailer. Like, it's literally like a trailer. Like, you're watching this movie, and the intensity is never ever lets up. And that's why I mean by it. it's this pulsating throughout this whole movie. And then at the same time, it isn't afraid of like silence, like. It lets you like sit in in those moments, which then just amplify the intensity when that kicks back up.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was I I really debated, and it was the last second decision, but between Dunkirk being my two or three, um, between that and Memento, and I went with sort of my initial response, but. Dunkirk, it's a, it's a masterpiece. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, it is an amazing, amazing movie. And somehow, even though you don't have character development, you have characters that you care about here. That's what I mean. It's amazing. Actors that you, you have acting that you're blown away by, which is not typically sort of a Nolan trait where you're just really into the acting unless you get some sort of random amazing but every even like like you said between hardy and his what i i don't know the the actor's name but i just fell in love with him the other guy who was the pilot jack loudon um who's a yeah he was great um and then like i said it's a basic survival story you're watching these people just go on to all these boats have to get off going on to like nearly dying just trying to escape it's kind of amazing because there's never a other than at the beginning when he's just escaping some random people shooting at him it's ne- there's never a battle or a bullet right. that's been shot it's you get the claustrophobia of it and the helplessness of it i don't know it's there is there is is, one uh, little
1: critique i have of this movie and and it's when i love the scene and i love the the music cue that he uses when kenneth branagh looks out and he sees all the all the civilians coming and they say what is it and he says it's home and then that music swells to like a totally different type of music that we've heard. I love that scene. But you go to kind of a wide shot and there's like there's like twelve boats. Like it's supposed to be like eight hundred boats. Like you never get like the full <clears throat> scope of what came to rescue them. And I get it like in the real in the, like the reality of what happened, that they didn't all show up at the same time, but I feel like for that moment you needed that visual and you don't get it.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple moments I think that we are predisposed to in the CGI era to like see things on a different scale yeah, and when that's you a good do point. things for real in this you don't have it, movie yeah. which is incredible and like you feel the physics of it and everything he wants to achieve with that he does. But there are some scenes that just feel smaller. Like you're not you don't get the like big explosions of the planes because they're real planes. You right. know, they're not um
2: and weren't there like a hundred thousand or soldiers on that beach or something? Four hundred thousand. Yeah, and so, right, you,
0: so you, you also don't have, you don't people. also see that either. But like, I I will say this is number four. It's probably lowest. I I'm surprised it's so high on all your guys' list. But I'm glad it is. And it was the revisit on this one. I was just like, this is just an incredibly inventive movie. I I did find, I think my my one crux with it is that I do have trouble relating to the the lack of character development gets to me. Um,
1: That's interesting. Like, yeah. Cause I think that's what was so sort of amazing about it for me is that, no, I I agree. The character development is there. It's just not done in a way we've ever seen before. Like Hardy is the example I use. I mean, it's the best example. Like he's just talking in the cockpit to his, to, to Jack Loudon the whole time, but somehow you learn about him and you learn about the decisions he makes so when he makes that decision to to say to, to go back and and go after the bomber you know somehow that that's not the decision he typically would make and i think and that's incredible i don't know how he did it i really don't i i don't know how he made us feel that way and a mask
2: too yeah, yeah you don't, don't see anything no on his face
1: and i i just it, love like I think Mark Rylance is just such a th- sympathetic character in this movie. That scene where he goes, he's like, maybe we can help him. Like, we just have, like, you just like, yeah, no, he, your heart yeah. sinks. Like, he's
2: just so good. I do think it's a bit silly that George dies. Oh, I don't.
1: From falling. I don't. Especially, especially after after you've seen the movie and he comes on board and he's like, I'll be useful. And you know what's going to happen to him. It's so impactful. Yeah, I I don't know. I just think that's that part's a little bit silly. The C- the Cillian Murphy PTSD thing, I I could understand the argument. Maybe that doesn't totally work.
2: And then he accidentally pushes
1: the boy, and
2: and I mean, he slams dies. his head on
1: like some metal yeah, thing. Yeah, like, but we've all slammed p- our head. People do die like that yeah well, it's pretty never a random boat all right oh, G-
2: G- george is like oh i'm gonna go save some people oh i'm gonna fall down the
1: stairs all right so the prestige which i'm I, Chapin, i thought this was your number one i thought it would be i was sure it was gonna be your number one my number one it's jeremy's number one it was nearly my number one chapin it was your number two mm-hmm so it was one or two for all of us um I don't know. Yeah, I I, just, I don't know how it's not my number 1 aside from what everything I just said about Dunkirk like god this movie's good.
2: Yeah, it's one it's it, it if we had done this list, I don't know, 5 years ago, I don't think it would it might have been like yeah, might have been like seven. my number 8. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But
0: no, it, it's always been awesome to me since the day I saw war- it with well, you, Jeremy.
2: The warrant rewatches. That's the thing. Like I think this is the best edited movie I've ever
0: seen I mean I there are like I six think it's one of the best screenplays i've ever working through this entire movie, and they're yeah. they're reading one journal and then they're yeah. looking back they're they're reading you're in one temporality and he's reading looking back at another one. you're in another temporality and he's looking back at another there's like six different timelines in this in this movie
1: so I think what's interesting there's, about this is like I mentioned how inception's supposed to be this like. Surrogate for for filmmaking, but I think this movie is almost more interesting in that regard. Like it's a Absolutely. look behind the curtain, like totally. how you do the tricks. Like it's so cool, like that. And and like what's amazing is that like he tells his story about these magicians while performing a magic trick. Like Nolan is legitimately performing a magic trick in this movie, and he's following the three steps. He has the he has what are the 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 setup the setup the that. turn and the prestige or whatever. So. I, and I think it's just so smart and the script is amazing. Uh the cinematography is amazing like you said Jay and the editing is amazing, the acting is amazing. Uh I I, I had one nitpick that literally might have cost it my number one spot, the Hugh Jackman double. I don't know if that works. Yeah, yeah, I agree because it it should have been played by somebody else. It just felt it should have been played by where somebody. Ev- where everything else in this movie is so Chapin, sharp buttercup, (laughs) stop, quiet. She's like no. Chapin, stop barking. Prestige is great. (laughs) Uh, Um, Where everything in this movie is so sharp, that felt a little cheap. But another thing,
2: uh, theme in his his work is, well, people good at their jobs, and prestige is like sort of the ultimate dedication. To your craft movie
1: yes I also think obsession is an interesting theme that I don't think he yeah well he does explore it a little bit like you can argue inception has a little bit of it too but like what's 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 interesting about the theme of obsession and the fact that he does it so well is that like it's a theme that can just like I think so often just like veers into bad horror and it's an easy... Bad horror? Like, bad horror. Like, bad horror movies based on obsession. Like, I think that's an easy thing to happen, and a lot of movies go badly trying to deal with that theme. But here, it's so masterfully done. Like, like these, these characters, if you think about it, like, you have a rooting interest in, in Christian Bale's character, for sure. Like, you feel like he's the good guy through most of this movie. But, like, they're both fucked up. Like, him and Hugh Jackman's Angier's they're
0: both
2: assholes.
1: They're both assholes. Yeah. Like they're both like literally just obsessed with beating the other one at any cost.
2: And how does how does Nolan hide the the whole thing with uh uh what's his with name? Fallon? Uh, with Fallon? Well, I was going like, to ask it, you that. Like it's sort of like obvious after the fact, but during it you don't really think about it that much. You're just like, "Oh yeah, there's definitely a guy that's hanging around and just helping him."
1: I think it's in his storytelling. Like he does not allow you to see him right away, but like he also never really gives Fallon much of a story. So like in any other movie, if like that did if that twist didn't happen, a critique of this movie would be Fallon's underdevelopment. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think that is why it works because you you're paying right. no attention to him because he's just there. Exactly. And I, and I love that. But I also love like looking back like having seen this movie, thinking about their dual lives. Like thinking about how hard some of the conversations Bale had to have with Rebecca Hall's character. Yeah. Knowing that like Fallon is, was real, like all those things, like knowing that it was yeah. him and like who they like, whose daughter is it and stuff like that. And like, I think like it adds Didn't, this we emotional t- weight to the movie. That's amazing.
0: We talked about this with um, this, I think with Shyamalan and the sixth sense, like it's one of those twists that actually reveals more right, you know and yep. and makes you think more about what you've been seeing instead of less. it sort of like makes what you've just seen more significant,
1: yeah, it's amazing, um yeah, it, there's very few movies that actually reward
2: on reward more on second viewing well
1: my i I've watched this twice, and third viewing, yeah, and fourth viewing. I, I watched this twice in preparation for this. There's a line early in the movie that I had never noticed until my most recent watch. Uh, Angiers has always been Lord Cal- Caldwell or Lord Codlow, whatever his name is.
0: Yeah, what? Yeah,
1: that's Which I, who he is. I didn't. I never realized that. So Angiers oh. is like his alter ego of Lord Codlow. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought he created Lord Codlow after. He, you know, drowns what himself. What made you
0: understand that? He,
1: well, there's a line where he talks about like how he how he left his life behind to yeah. do this for for uh, for Julia, who's Piper Perabo's character. Um, so I thought that was interesting. It's a, a, again a great point that how this how layered this movie is. You know what else is amazing about this movie? That Scarlett Johansson is really good in it. I wouldn't say really. I good. think she's. I would fine. not excellent. say really good. I don't know why
2: you'd say she's that. I think she's fine. excellent. She works, she doesn't distract, but I don't think she's like... Oh, really? I think it. she's great. Yeah, I, I think she's just being serviceable oh, that's in it, this that's movie. That's very interesting. But, I mean, to me, it's the screenplay. The screenplay... Um, it So, unlike Inception, where you're just like... It, it sort of is a mind-blowing experience because of how complicated it is. This is a mind blowing experience, but also it has the emotional depth of the characters that, that all his others do other screenplays don't. So you get that sort of twist or that, that um, moment where you're just like, Whoa, this is crazy. This is awesome. But you also, you also have been experienced that, Experiencing it with these characters the whole time, whereas like Inception, it's not really there. Memento, maybe a little bit. I I just think it all culminates mm-hmm. with the Prestige, which is an interesting movie for his career because it almost seems like a throwaway in between well, all his big. It's movies. amazing, and
1: I I actually love this about the Prestige is that he did following Memento and Insomnia, and then he got Batman. It's like okay, yeah. career made. So he made Batman Begins, <laughs> and then he went back and did The Prestige, and and I love that. And like this, this is little, this is little. But like I also love so like he, Batman Begins was also his first collaboration with Hans Zimmer. We actually have not talked a lot about that collaboration, but that was his first collaboration with Hans Zimmer, which of course he has done a ton of movies with. But with The Prestige, he went back to David Julian, who he'd worked with on Insomnia and Memento, and. It's a smaller movie. It needs a smaller score, and that's what that composer did. I mean, I don't know anything about that composer other than these couple movies, but I thought that was interesting. I was like...
0: He also did Following, too.
1: He did do Following, too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's a great example. Like, the smaller movies he did, his first three movies, he worked with David Julian to do the music, and then you get a guy like Hans Zimmer, you know, you think you'd stick with him, through the rest of your movies, but he decides, and, and who knows, maybe there was availability issues. But I, I, would f- like to say that he saw what type of movie he was making. He was going back to do something a little bit smaller, something a little bit less commercial, and he used a different composer to kind of fit that mold. And I, and I like that. I think that that's just a a smart a smart choice. This was a, n- nominated for two Oscars. It was Wally Pfister also n- nominated for cinematography. It was also nominated for art direction pan's labyrinth won both of those and uh and for uh 2006
0: i think another thing much like the um earth in interstellar like the feeling of london in whenever this is late 1900s just feels very real like they shoot it handheld that's really smart it feels like it doesn't feel like you're in downton abbey
1: yeah, that's a good point. You're like it out feels in the streets. Like a yeah, it's place. gritty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a uh, couple interesting facts just sort of across the board with Nolan, uh, but with the prestige. 66 on Metacritic. It's his second lowest scored movie wow. on Metacritic. Oh. Following has 60, um, but he has nothing else below 70. Memento had... Wait, so the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises is above that, critically? Yeah, Dark yep. Dark Knight Rises is 78. Dark Knight is 84. Dunkirk is his highest-rated movie on Metacritic with a 94. So, I'm right. Um, Dunkirk also... Dunkirk. <laughs> Wait, you just tried to disprove one thing and then prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So they don't know anything that they're talking about with Prestige, Aww. but they got Dunkirk right. Um... Dark Knight Rises was nominated for zero Oscars, which is sometimes they get things right, guys.
0: <laughs> sometimes they get things right. Okay. So I, I
1: want to...
2: Lee, have you uh, I tallied done the math yeah. on so this? Let me, um, um, math?
1: I'll recap everybody's lists. So uh, my 10 through one is Dark Knight Rises, Insomnia, Following, The Dark Knight, Batman Begins, Interstellar, Memento, Inception, The Prestige, and Dunkirk, Jeremy. Number 10 is Insomnia, followed by Following, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Inception, Batman Begins, Dunkirk, Memento, and The Prestige, and Chapin. Following, The Dark Knight Rises, Insomnia, Memento, The Dark Knight, Batman Begins, Dunkirk, Interstellar, The Prestige, and Inception. So aggregate top 10, um, I'll go forward. Prestige is the number one overall selection. 28 total points. Dunkirk is number 2. In- <laughs> Inception is number 3. Memento is number 4. Interstellar is 5. Batman Begins is 6. Uh Dark Knight is 7. Dark Knight Rises is 8 and Insomnia and the following are are tied for 9, 9 and 10. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's That's a, that's a great a decent, list. I mean Happy with that. I cannot argue with that. Um let's move on to our awards, guys.
0: Okay, Lee, it. why don't you kick us off?
1: Cinematography, you want to start there? Yeah. Let's do it. All right, man, this is tough, but I am going to... I have to... Ah, uh, fuck. I'm going to go with Hoyte Van Hoitema Hoyte for Dunkirk. Me too. I, I too am also going with... So, unanimous. Wally Pfister for The Prestige was the one I was... It was a close second for me. Yeah. Um. We didn't talk much, I mean, about his his... I know... Wally Pfister decided to start directing, but after Dark Knight Rises, um, he changed cinematographers after a long, long collaboration with Pfister. Um, yeah. Best score? Go ahead. Uh, I don't want I to d- go first. I
2: debated, but I ended up going with the Dunkirk score on oh, Interesting. Interstellar.
1: I went with Inception.
2: Yeah, that was my
1: other. Interstellar was my Inception. second, my close second there too, which was really tough. I, I love that score in Interstellar, but honestly, like I, I listen more often than I'd like to admit to the Inception score. Yeah, so, I think Inception was definitely a close number. This is the thing two. is about your pick, Jeremy, is that the Dunkirk score is the best integrated into the movie, in that But I the best it. music for me is Inception. Um, let's go to screenplay. Prestige. 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 Brilliant. Which is unanimous, but amazing when there's scripts like Memento and Inception, Inception so. yeah. and Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> 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 I just, for all the listeners l- at home, l- Chapin's d- having wings. it? <laughs> 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 Like He's literally
2: doing that thing that cartoons do where you put him <laughs> in and then the bone comes out clean.
1: Yeah, that's how I eat him. All right. Best <laughs> supporting actor.
0: Oh, God. Uh, I think that's the unanimous Heath Ledger.
1: Yeah, it is. Yes. So do you guys have another pick if it wasn't Heath Ledger? Uh, weirdly, I think it...
2: Actually, I don't know.
0: Uh, um, be, at mine would be Michael Caine in The Prestige.
1: So I was actually I I thought about Michael Caine in the Batman movies, um, but I went Maybe with Michael Caine in Dark Knight Rises. Oh, for what? fuck's sake! That's no, so, he's so also, good. He's so
2: good in the Prestige.
1: That scene when when he leaves is the worst set dressed scene I've ever seen in movies.
2: Well, that's the whole point. It's they like had like, nothing on the walls. The... Like, yeah, didn't he like? I don't know move out it looks bad, I don't remember, you know I you know when a re- billionaire
0: thing. loses all his money they come and take the paintings off your wall and all yeah. your cars you know which well, of course are you know not paid for in full
1: mark rylance was my other consideration for a supporting actor mm. for Dunkirk. Go. that's a good one um best supporting actress
2: i uh, i think i'm gonna have the most surprising but i did go with anne hathaway in
1: dark knight rises <sighs> I went with Rebecca Hall in the Prestige.
0: That's a good one. I went with Cotillard in Inception.
1: Yeah, that was my other one. I also considered I she, Scarlett Johansson in the Prestige because I don't. You guys obviously don't agree okay, with that. That's so.
0: that's as stupid as Anne Hathaway in in. That's worse. That's no, worse it's than not. Hathaway She's in like good in, in
1: the Prestige. She's good in it. Oh, Anne Hathaway is fine out. in Dark Knight Rises. She's just fucking pointless in that movie. Blows. All Best All right. actress. <laughs> Jessica went, Chastain. Yeah, that's I what I Jessica did. Yeah, Chastain. Jessica <laughs> Chastain, yeah. the only, the only, and actress. you could even make the argument that she's not a lead too. Unfortunately, yeah, she but. could be supporting. All right, best actor. This is interesting. Final category.
0: McConaughey, uh, Interstellar.
1: Okay,
2: that was my debate, but I went with Christian Bale in. Prestige. I went with Bale mm-hmm. in the Prestige.
0: That would be my second. You know one, what so, it is? Yeah. It's
1: that scene. It's that scene when Angiers comes to the prison. And he sees him, and he's yelling. He's like, "That's the guy I was supposed to have murdered!" Yeah, like, ah, yeah. oh, he's so good yeah. in that scene.
0: It's such a good performance, and like, I feel like you know he was such a great, exciting pick for Bruce Wayne, and then you know, kind
1: of sucked. It was it. fine. Yeah. I mean, it's but fine. Like, yeah.
2: I mean, it's it's fine. Ass. No, Nolan, there, He does no do interesting.
0: Yeah, from the for the rest of the movies, Nolan underserves him. But like, he gives him this fucking juicy ass role. Yeah, it's so and good. He just kills it.
1: Um, okay, guys, I think we did a great job. I think this was great. A great Two retrospective. Two hours and
0: 40 minutes. It's like a Nolan movie right there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could watch you could watch Following nearly three times during yeah. this podcast.
0: Are you guys excited for tenants? We don't know if it's going to come out yet, but...
1: I am. I'm getting more and more excited about it. I saw Good. this well, thing... Well,
2: the whole point of this retrospective was, like, Tenant was supposed to be part of this. I know.
1: I, I saw this thing on IMDb today about... Uh, like fan theories on Tenant, and and while I think this theory is just absolute garbage and nonsense, and I and how I they have theory, I almost don't already. want to acknowledge it. But it did get me even more excited about Tenet But this fan theory that it's actually a a sequel to Inception and exists in the same world as Inception. Uh, um Don't care. Yeah, I don't care either. But like, it just did get me more excited about the movie. Yeah. I That's mean cool. as excited as I am like I, I, I mean we should talk about this Like, I, I don't understand the logic of trying to release this. Delay it a year like you'll make all your money in July of 2021 like it just seems like the more practical choice to make. Will you though
2: or, or is the, are we going to be dealing with the same stuff
1: well by then hopefully we have a vaccine and we won't be <laughs> hopefully who
0: knows. Quickest vaccine in history if it is um. Yeah. No. I. I think. Um. I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to the movie theater in a month. Are you guys?
2: No. Nope. In six weeks. So you're even if it comes out, Chaven, you're not going to go see it.
1: I just don't Oof. understand. What I don't understand is like, okay, if you're going to delay it and then put in and release re-release Inception, why do you think anybody's going to go see Inception? Like, if you think people are going to go see Inception, then just release Tenet. <laughs>
0: I think because it's low risk.
2: I guess, yeah. I mean, that's why I might consider the drive-in for it. Yeah, I know yeah. it's crazy, but like, it's so much safer. You stay in your
1: car. Yeah, it's just N- nothing, bad audio. nothing
0: like a Nolan soundtrack thing. And it's got to be the set. You got to make
1: sure it's the second movie at the drive-in too, because the first movie always starts and it's not dark enough. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That is true, you can't even
2: see it. I, I forgot about that. It's been so many years since I've been to the tribe. I've never been to one.
1: It's fun. I mean, it was fun. I don't know if it's still fun. But, yeah. All right. All right. Well, Wrap this up, Chapin.
0: That's going to do it for this extraordinarily mind-bending, time-dilating edition of the Get Your Film Fixed <laughs> podcast. I have been Chapin Hemingway, joined by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk, baby. Um, yeah guys good job we got this down um, Next up We're doing George Lucas So <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. Um, Next up uh, Woody Allen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah uh, So thank you so much for listening And uh, email us in let us know what you th- thought Of our picks give us suggestions for movies You want us to review feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com And uh, have a Safe and pleasant week Well, I love the idea, I I love the idea of the, the key idea here is, Jesus, Katie, do you think you could call the dog? (laughs) (laughs) Note the time, enter it in the log. Why is
1: he, why is she so mad at you?
0: Buttercup, shut up! (laughs) Can we take a beer break real quick? Sure. Give me thirty seconds.
2: Should I get more wine now?
1: Question is, the question is, will this be left in the podcast? I hope not.